Welcome to the Jester's Court Podcast. It is I, once again, Bradley Geyser. And there's a funny story with this guest. Is We were supposed to record a podcast about five months ago, mid-December. The day we were supposed to record. We got this news that, hey, you know that site you've been writing for? That's right. Your time's there. <laughs> so, this is, finally, this is finally the time I get to talk to one of my favorite people on here. Robbie Beagler, Robert Beagler, Bobby Beagler. I didn't ask which one he wants me to call him. All of them. <laughs> all of them, just Any every time? It's, it's really, I, I forgot that that was, I, for some reason I thought it was just before they canceled the season, but then I realized we weren't doing podcasts then because we were kind of like, fuck this. Like, <laughs> what's the point of creating content if we got to bail pretty soon anyway? God, I forgot. I'm, so now we're meeting under much better circumstances yeah. Than, uh, than last time. Last time we just would have mourned the passing of STR. It's so funny because it's like, I sometimes will kind of just instinctually say like, I think I was talking to someone about doing this podcast. Like, oh yeah, it's, it's, I, like, sacked, I didn't catch myself. It's like, oh no, 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 King's Herald, King's Herald. It's like, I've spent no time at the other website. And I'm not saying this in like a, why would I go there kind of way. It's like, now that we're all over where we're at, there's no reason for me to go. Like, I feel like this is what I would say. The, the Kings aren't, um, in general, specifically now, of course, because of the lack of uh, basketball that's being played and personnel decisions being made. But I feel like in general, you only need a finite number of resources to like track the Kings. Like there's not so much going on with this basketball team that you need like a dozen different articles from a dozen different websites. Yeah. Right. So it's like Kings Herald is good. Like I, I've got the people I like. I think I've got the people that are the smartest people to talk about basketball to and with. Um, but it's just – so I've, I've spent no time there, but it's just, like, weird that you're still, like, catching yourself, you know, kind of, like, breaking up with a person, but you still kind of think of them as a girlfriend or moving and thinking you're living in the old address. It just takes time. But I'm glad that I – I'm glad that I almost always um, use my microphone and test by saying welcome to the show because inevitably that's when I get welcome to the Sacktown Royalty Show out of my system. And yeah, then by yeah, the yeah. time I get to it, I'm like, okay, the gesture's court. Right. Because you just – you don't even think about it. I need a better intro anyway. I like welcome to the show is so cliche. You need like um well you should start out with Phantom Planets, California Here I Come. That would be yeah. really uh really I don't know. I kinda like the old nineteen twenties sweet Georgia Brown I do. Yeah, I agree with that actually. I think that that's good. It's I don't a, and it's not, not the cliche like, one. It's just are the you, Are you still doing yeah. sound effects on this podcast? Or are we still uh I want to. I want so bad. I listen to a lot of podcasts and they acknowledge an iPad where they're playing sound effects. It'd be so cool to like, when you make a good point to have Grant Napier go, oh boy. Actually, that is true. You're, you could actually, there's, I, I listen to a podcast that has like a soundboard. And, I mean, it's a comedy podcast, but it can be like a, something of a value act. It's obnoxious and annoying, but anything <laughs> funny on a podcast up to a point is It has to be a annoying, somewhat but... comedic podcast. Like you couldn't have, right, exactly. you, uh, you can't have fresh air and be like, right. telling a story about someone I, dying and have. I'm going to be honest. That would be fucking awesome to carry gross with a soundboard. Yeah. Just, would honestly make those, it would make those uh, podcasts more bearable. I mean, I like Fresh Air and I like, uh, fuck, what's the other one? What's Ira Glass? This American Life? Like, I don't listen yeah. to it consistently, but I like enough of it. But just the idea of like a white 40 something telling a story about their grandmother with a soundboard is 
just so exciting. It's so much better than what fuck else they got to offer. They got to get um, what's his face. He he can't be doing work. The dude from pol- the Police Academy movies. Oh um oh shit, uh, Michael. Uh, what is that guy's name? Was it Winslow? Like the guy who's like randomly in sitcoms, basically doing the same fucking thing. <laughs> Always, yeah. They gotta get that guy. I'm shocked that they've not rebooted the Police Academy movies. It's, it's well, actually, never mind. I'm not shocked. I hope this the, today is the wrong day. In seriousness, to be suggesting rebooting anything that paints a uh, um a comical and free spirited picture of law enforcement in this country, yeah, is not the uh, not the time like, for that. It's uh, it's not the like time to pitch the whole. A Police Academy. I feel like the whole uh, police drama, police comedy thing lives and dies on CBS now. That's totally. I mean, it's all CBS is. It's like you. I guess that they laid off a bunch of people. Apparently, CBS Viacom is laying off a bunch of like local uh, newscasts. I guess they laid off a couple thirteen uh, Channel Thirteen KOV. Is it still KOVR Thirteen? I believe so. I think I heard they laid a handful of people off, which everybody then was bitching about because. Uh, this is a Kings podcast. <laughs> no. Yeah, we'll talk about the Kings we'll eventually. Sacramento. Um, I was joking with my brother the other day that have you have you listened at all to all that smoke, which is the Matt Barnes no. Stephen Jackson podcast? No, I've heard I've heard clips, but I haven't watched it. So I, I was joking that because he was playing for me the Draymond Green interview because I guess they live broadcast a lot of those on Showtime, I think. Um, but I was joking with my brother that this is just like the inverse of all that smoke. If that's like, like the two most like NBA kind of guys on in on Earth, Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson, and like players love coming on, then you just have the two squarest white guys on Earth yeah. talking about basketball. If we had Kevin on here, I the Kings might come up once. Yeah, exactly. That's really like, cool. <laughs> that Michael Winslow discussion would still be going on. Kevin would be telling us. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, the sad part is that I think most of the most of our listeners, it's going to be you and I listening to this, but yeah. like. I don't think any, like, I barely remember the Police Academy movies, and that was very much of my era. <laughs> I've never actually seen them. I just know that guy exists. God, I think I've seen one or two. Isn't there, like, a, like, I feel like there's, like, an Operation Miami Beach or something, which may not actually exist. It's one, like, I feel like Police Academy is one of those things, kind of like Weekend at Bernie's, where the line between what was real and what was parody is very blurry. Yeah, I mean, obviously the police academy movies themselves are parodies, but then like the joke became that there's a thousand of them and they're all awful. But there were a lot of them and they were awful, and that's where it's hard to tell where the reality ends and the fantasy of the thing begins. And like now, half the cast, like I remember a couple of years ago, I did know this. There was one of those sci-fi movies about uh, tarantulas coming out of a volcano called Lava Lantula. And seriously, the main cast was just basically the police academy cast. Well, who's even, like, it's Steve Gutenberg and, who even, and Michael Winslow, and who the hell else is even in those movies? I don't, I want to say the lady was on it. I don't remember her name. Yeah, I think she was, like, attractive, right? Yeah. And, like, and she looked exactly the same. Like, even Steve Gutenberg, he was in Ballers, and he did, like, Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> I forgot about him in Ballers. He was terrible in Ballers. I, I missed the last season or two seasons. That's another show where it's, like, I've watched the first couple of seasons pretty actively. And then stopped yeah. watching and was never like, why am I not watching Ballers? Like, John David Washington was the best part of that show. And now he's an actual celebrity. Sacramento Mountain Lion legend, John David Washington. Exactly. Uh, Dante it's too bad no one makes that jersey. Yeah. 
That'd be a good one. I went to one Mountain Lions game, and it was – it's, like, fun to be out there, but it was so fucking boring. <laughs> I <laughs> like, paid the time of day. I knew that Dante Culpepper played there and Denzel Washington's son, as I knew him at and the I, I think Denny Green was maybe the coach before he passed away, the old Cardinals coach, the uh, they were who we thought we they were guy. Oh, yeah? Um, I think he was the coach at one point. But it's just like – and this is, again, we're spending a lot of time talking about basketball. But it, it was just like they had like no skill. All the good skill position players in the NFL. So it was like running backs and old quarterbacks, which do not make for exciting football. Yeah. Also, it's, it was at Sac State. It was at Hornet Stadium, which is a nice stadium. Don't get me wrong. But anyway, that's it's neither here. So yes, John David Washington has definitely come up in his days since playing. Like I wonder where that guy even lived. Like, I, I really wonder what John David Washington's Sacramento experience. What's wild is apparently Denzel was here just, like, chilling in the back row so he wasn't a distraction. And apparently he was coming to those games and stuff. Like I'm a proud sure. I mean, it's his son, and he's probably proud. And it, yeah. it was, like, semi-legitimate football. Um, you just can't – minor league football just never works. I mean, the XFL was kind of killed unceremonious, no, unceremoniously this time. But – there's just like they've tried NFL Europe. I think the CFL is relatively popular. The Canadian, yeah, and it's like a different style of football. But like, I think part of it is that like NFL teams have a lot of players on a roster. Yeah. So like by the time it trickles down to any like unaffiliated league, it's really not good players. Like I don't mean that like negatively because yeah. these players all played in college. It's just that you know the things that are most exciting about football are not going to be executed by people playing in those leagues. There's barely 10 good quarterbacks in the NFL. <laughs> so exactly. you're getting, you're getting uh, the diminishing returns of guys who don't make it to the CFL. And then guys, what was that? Was that the USFL or something? Yeah, USFL. Then what was the Sacramento Surge? Was the um, – shit. Was that USFL, the Sacramento Surge? I don't remember them existing, to be dead honest. The Goldberg played for them. Goldberg the wrestler. Okay. If, I, I don't know if this is still the case, but for years at the Club Raven – there was a like inaugural season Sacramento surge, like first roster poster and Goldberg is in the poster. And then Jim Hazlitt, who went on to be an NFL coach uh, was like the defensive coordinator of the team. Wow. There is one of the better 30 for thirties. My opinion is the one about the UFL from the 80s. Sacramento yeah. didn't have a team, but it's like, you don't think about like Steve Young is playing for a different league, but no, I mean, that, really, that was the one that kind of had the most success. Yeah, it was it's killed. Fun. It was killed by some eccentric billionaire yeah, narcissist. I, I I don't remember his name, but it was killed. I, I don't think. I think he kind of uh, vanished into anonymity. Yeah, I I hope so. That guy seemed terrible. Yeah. But, yeah. So um, should we talk about basketball? Yeah, sure. What do we want to talk about? I don't know. It's there's quarantine. What do What do you want to talk about? Um. Well, the, the this there's the question of the hot question today was uh, if the Kings enter this 10-team, because right isn't the thought now that it's going to be – I haven't paid a ton of attention, but I did, I did see the conversation is that it's uh, 10 teams versus 10 teams, right? That it's a, a 20-team. Like, what, like how, did they talk about how it's structured? I don't know if they have an exact structure. I, I heard that there are four Western Conference teams who were close enough, the Kings being one of them, that they would consider adding them to a pool. For what right. I imagine would be that first round they've done the last 10 years or so in, like, the NCAA tournament. Yeah, like the play-in? Yeah. Which, and then there's the question of, well, does that count as, like, breaking the playoff streak, which 
I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I think if the, if the team played well, because it's kind of a subjective conversation anyway, yeah. like, like the history books, I, I'm sure will treat it as the playoffs and acknowledge there was a, like, play-in and there was this weird quirk. And who knows? I mean, precedent may be that going forward, this is how they decide to do the playoffs anyway. So it becomes a I more hope. confusing question. Yeah, I mean, it would be kind of cool. But, like, if the Kings lose by 15, right, if they have, like, a, a lead going into the third quarter, a 10-point lead going into the third quarter, and then midway through the third quarter or down by 20, stage a comeback midway through the fourth, then lose by 15 at the end. No, it doesn't <laughs> count as a playoffs. Just effectively would, how the Kings lose every fucking game anyway, so. It would be either that or the Kings would randomly win, like, right. handily. It would, it would not be – Anywhere in the middle. The Kings would either yeah. embarrass themselves or hilariously win. Right. It, it, would just, it would depend almost strictly on the degree to which they felt like playing up to or down to the level of their competition. You almost wish it was the Blazers, the Spurs, and I forget who the other team is. Was it? Well, is it the Pelicans or are they already in the thing? I was going to say, I, I want to say the Pelicans. I want to say so actually. The Pelicans and the Kings have like an identical record because that yeah. was like, you know, the, the fabled fake last game before quarantine was the, the oh, Kings yeah. appearance on national television that never happened. Yeah. I want to say the Warriors were the only team who were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs in either conference, but, you know, other teams were pretty much eliminated. Yeah, I mean, like the Cavaliers, like, who sucks? Like, I, at this point, it's, it's only been, like, two months, but I've almost completely forgotten about the answer. It seems such, like, a different universe. <laughs> I've almost completely forgotten, like, that the NBA season was a thing that even happened. Oh, yeah, it is weird. Um, yeah, there's so much going on. Like, there's this part of me in the back of my mind, like, if for whatever reason they didn't have the league, I'd like, Haha, the Lakers' chance at winning is not going to happen. But, you know, I still love basketball. And I love LeBron, so I don't want to waste a LeBron year, even if he is on my least favorite team in sports. Yeah, I mean, I – I'm not. A, I'm obviously not a Laker fan. I've just been to a lot of Laker games. So suddenly, I, I mean, I still cannot stand them. And like, but it's like that thing where you sort of like spend enough time. I mean, I don't go a lot. I've been. I was in a handful this past season. Um, and I, I had a friend, a friend that got season tickets, and then it's just like the worst possible season to get season tickets. <laughs> you ain't going to the playoffs, buddy. He got season tickets in anticipation of LeBron before LeBron came. And last wow. season, no play. There were no playoffs. And this season, they're going to be in goddamn Orlando. Um, yeah, I don't like, – I don't – I get I, In theory, everybody has said that they thought that the Lakers would win. I mean, I guess I didn't feel like – like, the Lakers were, were probably the best team throughout the course of the season, but it never felt like they were so – like. Oh, I agree completely. I actually – the best team? I could st- – I still think I would lean Clippers if they played that team because they're deeper. And I'm not sleeping on the Bucks. I think this could be Giannis's breakout year. I think that that's oh yeah, that's the one that I. I mean, you know, the Bucks issue is their second best player is Eric Bledsoe. Is yeah. he their second best player? Like, I don't, I, I don't even know. If, not their second best player, but it's like they just don't have like a like a second kind of all star, like important all star. I don't know. Does that but make But they're sense? pretty deep, and uh, Chris Middleton is good. He's probably their second best player, but they are deep. They are deep. They are going to miss Malcolm Brogdon though. I just think the Clippers are – I went to a Clipper-Rockets game in, like, December, and it was so fucking boring. It was an actual good game, but just the way that both of those teams play, it's, it's just kind of a chore to watch. I like watching the Clippers, actually. I like their kind of gritty – I always – I didn't like Lob City, so I kind of forgot that I actually like Doc Rivers' teams during that era, but 
I yeah, do yeah, like yeah. A, a well-coached Doc Rivers team. I mean, it's, it's certainly very well-coached. It's just like there, there doesn't – and maybe some of this is just like you know, LeBron is a player who's going to – I was going to say going to kind of have chemistry with everybody that's not Lonzo Ball because um, they, they did not seem to have any chemistry together. But like I think that there's just because of how LeBron plays and how he distributes and because he's clearly as, as supremely talented as he is, um, he sort of has natural chemistry with everybody. Like, I don't think Kawhi and Paul George are inherently – I feel like with the Clippers, there has, there's a tendency to be a lot of, like, players playing individually. Not that they don't play as a team. They obviously play as a team. But it's not like you see a ton of, like, rapport between Kawhi and Paul George. But, I mean, obviously it's still early. Like, that yeah. could all change next season. Well, or, we saw, like, what Kawhi did last year. He just turned it on. Like, he was right. great for the Raptors all year, but he – took it to another level once the playoffs started. So that's where – and Paul George, they, what helps them too is the defense. Both They're two of the rare oh, yeah. superstars who are actually good at defense and not just sure. the type of good at defense people pretend Steph Curry is or something. They're, well, what about Draymond, your favorite player? Yeah. I mean, he's about as good as I am. Well, I mean, he, he thinks he's the uh, best screen setter in the history of basketball, I believe is what he said on the uh, oh, All That thinks... Smoke. You really should just hate listen to the All That Smoke podcast. <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I, I like Draymond personally, but it is about two hours of Draymond talking, uh, preaching the gospel of Draymond. Yeah. Well, he, the second he thought that he is in the same conversation as Charles Barkley because he has a ring as third, fourth, fifth option, whatever you want to call him, it was like, come on, dude. You... You're taking rings too far if you think that you you barely should just be mentioned in a sentence in any form with Charles Barkley. You are not comparable to well, him. Well, I mean, they were kind of talking shit, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like his pride was wounded probably to a but point. I'm not it's Draymond. I think he actually thinks. He does. He definitely does. He, is, he seems like a cool dude, and he's really close to DeMarcus, and so I'm fascinated by what, like, <laughs> DeMar what Draymond and DeMarcus like hanging out is like really any of those guys the yeah. same with the because I think Draymond had a 30th birthday party they were talking about I think just before COVID and it was like Steven Jackson Matt Barnes Draymond and uh DeMarcus oh my god I can only imagine what that like I wonder what that party is like I think it was Martin themed seriously which I mean it's, it's a clever as hell theme although oh, yeah. I don't like if your party is Martin themed like Pretty much everybody's gonna come as Martin or Gina. Like, we <laughs> get some Shinanes and some Garrett Morris's. But like, the only issue with Martin is there's like five characters, so it's gonna be a lot of overlapping. Who know? I never saw Martin. Um, it's a, it was a funny show. I oh, mean, I know people it was love a, it. It's one I never realized. I think I was too white. Um, I never realized how popular it was until I got older. Like, I knew Martin Lawrence, obviously, but. I think I, I I watched that in in Living Color when I was like a kid, um, which I guess are I don't know I feel like maybe it was because of like Simpsons was sort of like the gateway into all of that shit like you see commercials for this other stuff and like it, now now that I think about it it is curious that like I mean I guess as I've gotten older my tastes have just gotten like which maybe this happens to a lot of people just like more old man white it's like now I'm listening to Steely Dan and talking about WKRP in Cincinnati. And it's like, what the fuck happened? I was 12 and watching Martin and this is, this is where it's come. But then I think the alternative would be, you don't want to be like the 40 year old guy trying really, really hard to like, uh, be counterculture. 
Yeah. You got to find that middle ground. Right, exactly. Whatever that looks like. Between the stepdad who listens to Steely Dan. Right, exactly. I I don't even know what the other side of that coin is, but... Um, I don't know. Like, my cousin texting me about... I have, like, a... No, he's got kids, in fairness, but I have, like, a 50-year-old cousin that at one point, I think, was texting me about Juice World dying. And it's, like, like... I mean, it's tragic that anybody dies, but at 40 years old, I'm entitled to not having an opinion on Juice World dying. Like, it's just not registering with me. It's sad to lose someone. But beyond that, I don't really give a shit. Like, it's not... It's not registering in my universe. I'm finally in my 30s. I'm like, and I think it took like, I was going to UC Davis in my late 20s. So I was still around a lot of 21 year olds and felt right in. But like, I feel like even though it's only been a year and a half, it's like the more removed I am from that. It's like, I am really just a different generation from these. (laughs) I don't even know if I'm the same species. Definitely. I'm like, so I was born in 80 and, and I'm just at the tail end of Gen X. And I definitely, for the most part, feel a little more Gen X than I do. Because I don't know if now I, I get confused by this generational shit. Because now I don't know if it goes from like Generation X to Millennial or if Generation Y is still a thing. Because it was I was like asking gener- my sister that who's – because I have a sister about your age who's Gen X. And then I have a sister who's two years younger than her and four years older than me. And there's kind of like this tweener generation. I, I, there's a definitive difference between – 1981 when my sister was born, 1985 when the second one was born, and 1988. There's, those are three completely different upbringings we had. Yeah. Totally. Well, I think some of it is like, I mean, this is obvious, but sort of like, like how, what was your social media experience? Yeah. Right? Like, I, social media didn't show up for me until Friendster in like, 04? Right? It's like, shit changes pretty rapidly, obviously. Oh, yeah. And then you get MySpace and like, you know, I didn't, like, in high school and college, there was no social media. So, like, you know, I, I think that that, like, not that that changes how you grow up, because I don't necessarily, I mean, in some capacities it does. I can only imagine what I would be like if I had had, like, Twitter in high school. Honestly, probably wouldn't be the, that, that different than fucking the Twitter that I have now. I think maybe I would try a little harder to be, like, an edgelord. But independent of that, I think it would still be, like, me musing about Dick Tracy and, you know, women not sleeping with me. Um... So basically the same. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it would change a lot. Me and my 700 followers that are perpetually confused because they thought it was a basketball Twitter account and instead it's talking about the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yeah, I mean, that's me. I've, I've gotten plenty of... Well, I don't get it as much anymore, but I remember when I started, I'd like be live-tweeting a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, and someone, and just, which is weird to tell someone what they uh, should be should tweeting be about. about. Like, unless I'm just supporting genocide or doing right. terrible <laughs> doing yes. terrible tweets, like, let me tweet about my movies. Like, I think, I still think to this day people overestimate, like, with Sacktown Royalty and now King's Herald. Um, I think they think that's our full-time job. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I know. Well, I think especially now that you have uh, Akis and, and, and uh, Greg and Rich writing for The Bee. Like, it's yeah. sort of like, oh, well, like, these are sort of our, like, King's journalists, which they are. They also are doing a lot of other shit, poor guys. Like, they're, they're doing a lot of fucking work. Um, to this day, just because you know someone as a national sports writer, it does not mean that's their day job. No, I mean, there's no question about that. Like, like now, you'll see, I'll still see people who are, like, posting about working retail, and I'm like, what? I thought this dude was, like, a well, big-time I mean, 
Dude, shout out to Marty Mack, rest in peace. Like, you know, oh, he yeah. was working at Costco at the back end of it. Yeah. Now, he probably liked working at Costco. Oh, he was crazy. By the way, like, yeah, like you said, rest in peace, Marty. That, what a guy. I didn't I realize mad. his – I did not realize his reach when, like, you saw J.A. Adonde, Stephen A. Smith, stuff. Sam Amick makes sense because they work together. Right. Scoop Jackson. Well, I think that he was kind of one of the first – I mean, you know, it's easy to take this for granted because, like, it, it, I, for me at least, it doesn't feel that long ago, even though it was. Like, that era of the Kings Yeah, doesn't feel like – I mean, I, I just sort of, some of it is just, I mean, we were talking before this about the fact that Johnny Depp is 56 years old. She's like, holy shit, Johnny Depp is almost 60. But it's like, yeah, I, mean, I just turned 40, so that kind of checks out. Like, um, but you think about, like, when Marty Mapp is writing about those Kings teams, and he, he very much, his personality very much informed what he wrote, who he yeah. was, and, you know, what he was into. And, like, that really does kind of predate Scoop Jackson. And yeah. Stephen A. Smith and the guys that really became those kinds of writers, the guys that really brought their personality into what they were writing about and what they were doing. And go ahead, sorry. Oh, and I was say as up and comers and stuff, they were probably covering the Kings a lot more than like someone would now because they were right. the Kings were the top they of were the town a back then. Team. Yeah, 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 exactly. And mm-hmm. I think too, like it's just I think the thing with Marty is that he was so like sort of friendly oh. and. He was a great ambassador of, um, so I, you know, I think that if I, I, the tendency with Eileen was that she was a little insular and kind of um, not generous with her time or with her, uh, her opinion of herself as sort of like the preeminent journalist on the, the Kings. Uh, Marty, and actually, you know, Breton is very, very friendly with people. I mean, his, his columns aren't always popular and he can be a bit of a sourpuss just as a personality. Because I think he sort of, plays up but as like a person he's very very because i remember writing to all of these guys like when i would you know when i was in my early 20s and just a fucking idiot and just like saying like oh no you're wrong or oh did you see this and like the time before social media yeah basically yeah honestly to a point yeah when you're like when you're sending emails as opposed to directly like reaching out to people on twitter and you're so excited that marty mcneil wrote back to you but i just remember those two guys being like most generous and conversational with their time um and Marty was just, you know, it was that's that era of the B where you had Marty and you had Bertone and you had Eileen and you had Kreidler and you had um Amick? Amick was just after, I think. Um, okay. But yeah, that whole era, right? They kind of bled into each other. But just the number of columnists you had for that newspaper. I mean, you know, it's it's great now to have uh Greg and Akis and uh or Keith rather and uh Rich writing for him. It's sort of like a you know, it's, it's nice to have like an era of fresh voices and fresh perspectives again yeah um because it got a little monotonous mm-hmm. yeah after a point yeah well just i you get i don't want to i don't want to crap on the beat too much but there was a, that era it was like people who knew basketball even if you disagree with them i disagreed with a lot of what aileen said but she also had some good pieces and right where she where she uh broke news and did things she also had some questionable ones but like, you, it seemed like someone who had a grasp, and I don't blame any of the writers for it, but it seems like at times the B just throws anyone. No, obviously not. Uh, this is why I think adding Greg and all the others was great. Sometimes the B seems to add, oh, you don't have a beat right now? Well, you're a Kings reporter. <laughs> and, and frankly, it's following a basketball team that's not always, like, the most entertaining team to follow. Yeah. But I, I mean, actually, I guess the last two seasons have been entertaining like it, the basketball product has largely been better, but there's just been a lot kind of going on around 
yeah. the organization positively and negatively. We're um, not as enter- we're like even like with Demarcus Cousins, we are entertainingly bad. There was always a chance that he was either going to drop fifty or punch one of his teammates in the face. Right. I think that made more of an intrigue than us just being a middling team. Like people loved watching us last year, and I think some of them still did this year. But yeah, well, I mean, this year it's just obviously the pace slowed down. You had the injury issues, and particularly with with Fox out, like the the. Uh, the the buddy um, bogey, like it's not the most exciting yeah. style of basketball. It would be if we played to our players' strengths. Like you know, last year when we were playing quick and actually winning occasionally, I still don't understand why this year we're like, okay, let's slow it down and play the one that doesn't well, fit our talent. I mean, I think that the galaxy brain rationale is if we can get this team to play in a slowdown pace, it'll make them that much more effective when they're in the sped up pace. Yeah. That I think is, I'm not saying I agree with this. I think that there, that is the sort of like covert galaxy brain rationale. It just did not consider, there's just no reason really to get cute with it. Mm-hmm. Like long-term. When it didn't work, use what works and incorporate that. Don't right. get rid of what works and just go like i lost my thought don't incorporate what works or what doesn't work and then just do away with where your team is best because this year almost every time we had a good comeback it was because the guys started not to sound like vivek but the guys started playing more jazz not just slowing down and trying to buddy a contested shot it was like the minnesota game that weird one where we were down 17 with three minutes left it was like we let these guys unleash and just play out of their minds, and we play better. And I do not understand – now it's been two months, so it's not all fresh in my mind, but I don't understand why that's just not the strategy with some slowed down mixed in. Right, that it's like three quarters of the fast and one quarter of the mixed in. I, that I do not dispute at all. I don't – I mean, I think that there's like I – mean, to, to your point about the season being two months away, now I can't even – who's the goddamn point guard? Um, who went to Texas? Who, uh, who's the backup point guard? Why, 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 Corey <laughs> Joseph. Yeah, Corey, I just like, I totally blank out his name. I'm just like, God, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, truthfully, I think I get so frustrated by Kings basketball that when like it's not happening and I don't have to pay attention to it and I can just shut that part of my brain off, I do. Because I still like get too upset with wins and losses. I get too nervous with wins and I get too angry at losses. So it's just like I've got to calm myself down and sort of decompress from it, particularly because, like, look, I was a big um, Jaeger fan. I think the yeah. team – you know, and I think that this speaks to, to a broader issue with some of the players that we have on this roster, but I, I do think the team kind of shut him down in the last third to a quarter of the season. Yeah, I remember you saying um, something about that in the initial dredge of this season. Right. You know, I think that there were things that were irreconcilable that happened there. Um, and that's kind of Dave's reputation to a point anyway, right? Supposedly that's what happened in Memphis, that he sort of grinds people down. It's sort of But like it's that. also, I think it, after that, it's telling that two of the like locker room guys from Memphis followed him here. I, there's no question. I, you know, I think that there's like, a, like veteran guys that kind of understand that that's what happens. Yeah, yeah. Scott Skiles, I think, was always really popular with veterans and struggled kind of with his star yeah. players. And I think it's sort of a and, – and I think that that's true to a point with Thibodeau also. Um, you know, those, those sort of grinding kind of hard. And although I never thought of Dave as quite as like a um, – I, I see Dave as 
I think Mike Malone's a better coach. I see him more in that mold where he never seemed too like like he was a little ridiculous with Buddy during that Warriors game, but even then I felt Buddy was a little sensitive about that. Oh, you think I Buddy's sensitive? Buddy. I don't I don't think that Buddy has done anything to indicate to us since that he may be thin skinned. He might be. I mean, there's certain things. I was being sarcastic. Oh, I know. I know. I was just, I was going to play off of that. Like, there's certain things like, I love that he just, I love that he hates Tim. I killed just. Yeah. I was going to try a hilarious bit there. God damn it. I'm sorry. I blew it. I was. Wow. um, Yeah. I don't, I I just, I I think on a a broader level, I mean, there's so many things like, I mean, I will say this. It's a miracle that this team is as vaguely competent as it is for as many issues as I think it kind of is dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I mean, for the – I just don't – so where are you on Fox? Like, I'm, your, I'm big on Fox. I think I'm bigger on Fox than most people. I still think he can be a superstar. I don't think I mean, he has I, to be – because I don't think he has to be like a 25-point-a-game scorer to reach that. I think he can be a 20-and-8 player and be a superstar because – I think he has this little killer instinct where he can just take over games. And he so doesn't, that's my, doesn't that's necessarily my real- need the ball to dominate. He doesn't need to dominate the ball in order to do that. And that's why I'm still hiring. I'm not saying he is going to be a superstar. I think he can be a superstar. Yeah, I, so that's my real question with Fox. As of like right now, my reluctance in coronating him as anything other than like a second-tier really good guy that can probably get us to the playoffs, but probably can't get us out of the first round is I, I think that I have, and I, I, I hate as a joking earlier that it's like, you know, you turn 40 and all of your opinions become curmudgeonly. Like you turn into every local radio Colin guy that you hate. <laughs> it's like everything is about like attitude and instinct and my I, I, body language. I, I, that's I, huge with that's like huge body with language. Viewers. Exactly. Like I just turn into the worst Bill Simmons column. Um, and those just You're aggressively 40. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I just, my, my, the thing with Fox is that I just, I feel like I would say this, I, I feel like this team still blows too many big leads and still, uh, loses too many games to teams that they shouldn't lose games to Yeah, for me to be abundantly confident in the transcendence of Fox right now. I will – my counterpoint I, to that is I believe Fox is at his best when he's not listening to Luke Walton. Well, I, I, but, but, but they did the same shit last season. Like, oh, I, I, I agree. I have this, a lot of similar issues with Luke Walton as Dave Yeager had at the end of last year, but I don't have as much positive to say about Luke Walton as I do. Well, I, I, know, I know your feelings on Walton. It's not yeah. going to be – I just think that they have a tendency to turn it on and turn it off. But they they're do. Not really really quite good enough to to play like that consistently obviously given their record like they don't really have the luxury of turning it on and off like obviously you know golden state could do that in the yeah. good old golden state that's a, that's the problem is they they have the confidence of a much better team <laughs> right and i think that that hurts like here's what i would say if you were to give me the choice where they just blew out every shitty team and got blown out by every good team and that was an option I would take that over the current state of play because I think they'd have a better record because they play way too many close games with teams that they, and obviously there were a lot of injuries and once they yeah. sort of get healthy and rounded, I looked a little better, but I just think that there's, it's like, I, I would say this, if I was De'Aaron Fox and up and into a point, I had made it clear to management that you didn't need to bring in the dreaded L you didn't need to bring in Luca. 
um, because I'm here, I would feel compelled every fucking time I touch the basketball to remind everybody, particularly given the season that Luca is having, fuck Luca, you have me. And I just don't see that game in, game out with him. There's a certain level of it. I mean, he's a great player. I, he's my favorite king since the Weber era. So yeah. I'm not saying this is like a um, like to slag on him. I just there's a tendency for people to say, well, he's our superstar. Like we have a superstar. We have Fox. It's, there's just there's there's a, a, a quality lacking in him as of right now where he doesn't quite have the instinct to make up for not quite having the ability. I mean, the ability is there. It's just you're talking about a level of like you know a borderline MVP style ability that I just don't see with him at this point. And I, I don't think the team is doing uh, my counterpoint or I agree with everything you said is I think that the team doesn't give him the keys to be what he can be. I don't think we allow him the opportunity well, outside of DeMarcus Cousins. Historically, we are just terrible at giving guys the keys to be able to do what they're good at. And I see that this year too. It's like they're worrying too much about the system and just not playing into this guy's strengths with, I think they can give Fox a little more freedom and he'd be more of what you want out of him. All right. Thank AT&T for that technical glitch, but we are back. We were talking about deer and Fox, but we don't know exactly when it, uh, when it stops. So forgive us if it's repetitive, but yeah, deer and Fox. Huh? So I'm going to just, I want to actually, uh, I would like to, I should have started with this disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast, which is, you know, I'm fucking quarantined. So it's like I've been talking to myself most days. So when I have like any degree of human interaction now, it's I'm already vaguely autistic anyway. I'm definitely on the spectrum to a point. So it's like I suddenly find that an hour later I'm still talking and the person is just staring at me like, Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, I was long-winded anyway, but this has just made things infinitely worse. So I should point out that like I'm on it like a – now that like I've got like an audience, which is just you, but you know, yeah. it's still an audience. Um, cause otherwise I've been talking to my goddamn dog who's fucking sick of it. Um, so I just gotta, like, I'm just going like, this is just, don't listen for coherency. You've got to just really just treat this as kind of like ambient noise. Like if you're doing work, yeah. you're cleaning the kitchen, you're, you're doing, you're jogging. Don't listen to me jogging. That sounds God awful. You're walking. Um, you just sort of treat this as like background. This is anything that you really need to pay attention to. No, what I was saying previously was that like, I always felt like the issue with that, the sort of cousins era, really the issue that we had kind of post that, that Petrie Adelman era high point was that like cousins, I think very clearly should have been like the second best player on your team. Um, He's a superstar. He's great all-star, but I, I think you need one other kind of really talented person to pair with him. And to a point, to sort of um, to calm him to a point. Uh, not that I, I thought that he was particularly disruptive as a personality. I always thought that was overstated a little bit. I think he could be a malcontent, um, but I don't think he was anything worse than that. Um, but I, I always felt like what you had is you, you, you were forced to have Cousins be your second best player, or your, your best player, rather. And then you were forced to have, like, Rudy Gay be your second best player, and Isaiah Thomas be your third best player. Isaiah Thomas could probably be your third or fourth best player. Rudy Gay could easily be your, your third best player. But you kind of had this vacuum, right, of, like, sort of like a hierarchy. And I think we're, we're like, I, I most agree with, like, the, the frustration about the, like, the Luka drafting or whatever is that if you have Luka and Fox, you have a very clear one and you have a very clear two. Right. And it's possible that Fox is most comfortably slated as sort of the second best player on a really good team. 
where you're not because and maybe he can totally take over and be the best player on the best team. And this is this is me being purely speculative. But as of right now, it seems like he's like I think Bagley is capable. I, I, Bagley is the guy to me that I'm probably a little higher on than most people. Um, I, I he he hasn't played right. He's yeah. he wasn't efficient when he was playing. I for um, very his just sort of aloofness and social media presence that are sort of over like you know the the Bagley team Bagley whatever the fuck it is yeah. the go the, to the Bagley brigade um but I, I don't like I, with Bagley now I'm really being discursive um I don't like have a concern he's look he's annoying I get that he can kind of be annoying he's also 1920 most 1920 year olds I, are that's where I'm like people talk about leadership and all from these 20 year olds let these guys be 20. Yeah. <laughs> we should not be looking to Bagley for fucking leadership. Right Even now. like De'Aaron Fox, people were mad at him when they thought, I forget what the comment was. They thought he said something, or he didn't talk to the media after the game. It's like, come on, he's 20. Let him, yeah. let him mope every once in a while. Like, like there's, there's legends who have done far worse. We just watched the last dance, and Michael Jordan was punching teammates in the face. Guys, can no, That's what it took to win, right? You, gotta, you just got to have that killer instinct. Yeah. Um, but I... I think there's, I haven't seen anything from Bagley to indicate to me that he's not willing to try yeah. and develop. Like, I think if, if you're totally sour on Bagley, you're totally sour on Bagley for two reasons. One, because you're pissed about Luca, and it just it makes the Luca situation that much worse, and it then just reinforces your frustration about it, which is not only did we not take Luca, but we drafted this absolute bust, which, I mean, you're entitled to that, but I think that that's just – that's sort of like a – like I feel like that's sort of set for social media engagement as much as it's set for anything else. Nobody's a bust in their second year yet, too. Right. I and firmly believe that. Unless you're Anthony Bennett and you're like in the G League your second year. Right. And he's totally the kind of player that like like it doesn't shock me at all that he's gonna he was gonna regress this season because now you're asking him to put together a bunch of shit that he's not quite capable of putting together. But I think it's impractical to think that because he couldn't put it together in the first couple months of his second season, he can't put it together by season three or season four. He hasn't even had a couple months in it. That's what bugs me about it, is he right. hasn't even had a couple months. He, I felt like people were relatively positive about him. And then for whatever reason, he got injured in the first half of the first game. And then Luca went off and averaged near a triple. Well, right, that's the thing. And it's, the thing it's, is, he, it can be a terrible draft pick and he can still be a good player. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of my point. I think, I, to me, again, to me, the frustration with Luca, where I feel frustration with Luca, is that if this roster was Luca, Fox, Buddy, and Bogey, that is a very clear playoff team. And, pro- and it's, the, it's the Pacific, so you have the Clippers, you have the Lakers, so you're not going to be as, as high of a seed as Dallas is. But that team has more talent than that Dallas roster, because I think Porzingis is done. Um, or done well, that's going to be a terrible of- contract. It, well, you know, this is, oh, we'll come back to this, because this is my, my rant on Dallas just in general. But, so my frustration, to the point that I still have frustration, lingering frustration about the Luka thing, is that I, I think that those – the, the talent of the team, assuming that he and Fox could get along and Fox would buy in, which probably not likely, given his general dislike of that potential pick going into that draft. Um, th- you, you know what that team is capable of pretty much immediately, and they would be executing what they were capable of now. And you would resolve what the Kings have always struggled with, which is having a first, second, and third very clear best player. Yeah. Right now, you're hoping it can be Fox, but there's no guarantee. And then you're hoping Bagley can be a two. I think Bagley can absolutely be the second best player yeah. on DC. 
it's going to be a couple of years, but I think he's really capable of it. I'm not, I don't think he's capable of being the best player on your team, which is really what you should expect from a second pick, particularly when you're taking that player over Trae Young and over Luka Doncic. Um, but I think he's totally capable of being the second best player on the team. The question is, is Fox capable of being the best player on the team? Like a, like a legitimately, like a team that's not a seventh or an eighth seed that gets consistently bounced out of the first round. Because I think they could absolutely do that. It's going to go beyond that. Yeah. And that's really up to Fox and Bagley. And, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any sort of material answer to us in any conceivable way on that right now, one way or the other. Like, I'm going to say that I think Fox is a little overhyped by certain circles of uh, Sacramento Kings fans. And I get it and more power to you. But I also can't say that they're wrong because I don't know. Yeah. I, I think with it, like, can he be the first option, second option? I don't know if it matters because what team besides Dirk Nowitzki's Mavericks that's won in the last 20 years and maybe – you could say the Pistons arguably ran with one without any stars at that time because they didn't have any all-stars that year. Right. But like how many, how many guys legitimately win on their own and people focus so much, like people pretend people, God rest his soul. People pretend Kobe Bryant won five rings, like play, like it was the years that he had Smush Parker next to him. It's like, no, you had Shaq and Pau Gasol and Lamar Odom. Artest, like a good Artest. In fact, that's kind of what I was thinking about that in the context of Buddy. I, I think he, Buddy, the issues Buddy's having this season remind me so much of those Artest issues towards the end in Indiana. And then when he was in Sacramento where Artest kind of like had, you know, had been a pretty good defensive player and he was on a lot of those defensive teams. And, but he really wanted to be considered like this offensive superstar and didn't know why he wasn't getting taken more seriously. Um, as an all-around player, he wanted to be in the same conversation as, like, Kobe and I think Iverson to a point at that point in time. Um, but it was kind of like, that's not, like, who you are. You're not, like, a natural scorer. You can score, yeah. but you're not – you're never going to be able to score like Kobe can score or Iverson can score. Yeah. And, like, it took a while for Artest to figure that out, but finally he figured that out, and that's why he had so many effective – years, or, like, at least one really effective Oh, I, I, I will say, Lakers. I think – I think Ron Artest are getting respect on the Lakers being a worse player than he ever was in Indiana or Sacramento. Yeah, absolutely. Like he, I, it's that thing where if you win, people overrate you. If you don't win, people underrate you. Exactly. No question. And I just feel that way a little bit with Buddy where it's like, like Buddy wants things that like are a little impractical. And I feel like whether it happens, and I think it'll happen here. Actually, I know that the, the sort of median hot take is that he'll go elsewhere, but I just don't. Like, I don't know where he'd go because I feel like the teams that would want him that aren't Sacramento are teams that are going to want him in a supporting role, and he doesn't want that. Like, if you're a shitty team, you're not going to overpay for Buddy, who's 30? How old is Buddy? He's old. 27, I think. Speaking, and really one-dimensional and kind of is established that he has a little bit of an attitude problem. Like I don't like, – that's one place – I think he's sensitive, but I think his attitude problems are overblown. It's like – I think at a certain point there are people who get a little ridiculous piling on him for like wanting more money during his contract negotiations. It's like, you're a basketball player who wants to make millions, get your money. I know that pissed people off when I said that. I'm fine with that. I just think that he like tends to make like these really bad decisions. Oh, he does. Ownership of it. He does. He has a problem with that. He goes and complains to Leo. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's interesting. But (laughs) It's one of those things, it's like, I also, I don't want to be a broken record here. I am every episode. I've probably said the same exact combination of sentences every episode. But part of this comes down to coaching. I feel like so many players are mismanaged on this roster. And a lot of these issues you're bringing up right now that are valid issues 
a good coach finds a way to bypass them. And it seems like we're just trying to fix things without offering a remedy. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I'm not as uh holy I, this could this has been such a weird and awful like just such a confusing season i like this has just been the most kings season of all seasons in every conceivable way i mean in the nba wide honestly <laughs> it is it's true it, it really is nba wide problem but it's just like it just seems so fitting to me that like the the kings are like at the precipice of some semblance of relevance they're going to be on national television it's golden one they're going to be playing the pelicans the stadium is full and Corona cancels the game and there hasn't been any NBA since. And now there's just like playoff game. And it's just, it, it's just been the, I, I think that the, like part of why, I mean, obviously this, like this downtime, this sort of NBA recess is sort of tough for anybody manufacturing content. Um, but I think part of the reason it's been particularly hard for us is that there's just been no coherency to the season. Oh yeah. There's been no consistent narrative. There really has been nothing consistently, other than Rashawn Holmes, who obviously yeah. didn't play consistently anyway. There's been nothing to consistently point to and say, okay, this worked really well. Okay, we have this to look forward to. Like, things were trending upward, but th- there was no level of closure or finality or specificity to anything. So we really can't, like, coherently and sort of competently and, and uh, confidently talk about anything. Like, there's really nothing that we can confidently say about this team right now. I mean, this is a confusing team anyway. We don't have an identity. Exactly. Let me put the needle – let me once again put the needle on the outside of the record and start this one over, the broken record, and say, what kind of coach doesn't have an identity? We've seen this Walton now. He was a Steve – It could take a couple of seasons to build an identity. We saw those couple of years. That's not necessarily a thing that happens immediately. Yeah. Like even and like even last year though, when LeBron was healthy, the Lakers were a better team. They even struggled with identity. At a certain point, I think Luke Walton's been a coach in the NBA long enough to have an identity as a coach. And I presented this to you guys the other day. I'm not sure what his identity is. Like he's a surfer bro. Take away my issues with him outside of the court. He's the surfer bro who players like. And what exactly like what's his strength as a coach, X's and O's wise? What's what if you're seeing a Luke Walton team play? What is, what are you going to expect? And I still don't know what the answer to that is. And I think it's telling that guys like Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball left him for a very good coach, I believe, in pe- the Pelicans, and they're better and more sure. coherent as players. At a certain point, Luke Walton's had more time than other guys who I believe have been better coaches have ever gotten. And at some point don't we look at him and say, okay, what are you as a coach? Well, I, you know, it's a fair point because it's like the, the most, the, the most difficult coach to peg, I think in the league is a coach. I, I would say typically an assistant and he was an assistant in golden state and obviously coached those year or coached the, the, the win streak when Kerr went out because of the bad back. I, I think the most difficult coach to peg is a, a high achieving assistant coach who everybody has high expectations of, who ends up in a not great situation, underachieves, is dumped in ceremoniously, and then goes on to the next place. Sometimes that guy can find success in the next place, right? But sometimes it's just clear that this person just isn't very good, and you've wasted two to three years of a guy 
to your point where there is no identity and there never was a there there. And then he goes back to being an assistant and is suddenly a savant again. And here's where I worry about that is we let go of a guy who finally established that identity with this team. And they had issues, especially at the end of the year, but the guy who did the most for our team and we might give Luke Walton a longer chance to prove himself than we did Dave Yeager to just because they don't want to admit they screwed the pooch on letting Dave Yeager go. And that's what I worry about. It's like, I don't think he's a good coach. I do not want us to pretend that if, well, this isn't going to happen now, but my point before everything went awry was if we make the playoffs as a 38 win team, I do not want us to pretend that Luke Walton did something commendable. No, that's totally reasonable. I mean, I think that, listen, I absolutely thought, and I have, um, my, my joke sometime in January when they released that article or it was an article or the blurb about how things started to really go south with Jaeger and Vlade when Jaeger started taunting Vlade about taking Bagley over Luca. But my joke to any, cause I had a lot of people complain to me about Dave and his rotations and he wasn't that good of a coach. And, and I really thought that as much as I disliked it as a Kings fan, because I want this team to succeed, I thought it was a real reckoning for people that bitched about Dave. Cause I thought Dave was incredibly underrated. You know, when you have a team, so many coaches get punished for overachieving. Yeah. You know, so many coaches get punished for being pretty competent, and then everybody becomes convinced that, oh, no, 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 we could be that much better. You're like, no, we're at where we at because of this coach. If we were capable of another sort of um, gear, this coach would probably get us there. Like, yeah. you should just be grateful for what you have. But it, it's very easy for people to sour on that. And then I remember people, people being pissed about him not playing Bagley, and it was like, well, you know, let him do whatever the fuck he wants with Bagley. Like, Having said that, clearly things got irreconcilable towards the end, right? Like, clearly there was no love lost between that team and that coach. Now, the question is, did you capitulate to your roster? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that, particularly if it doesn't improve the basketball. Also, what what makes it more annoying is, and we can move on to something we haven't discussed for eight months or whatever it's been now, but I think what makes it more frustrating in all this is we essentially bypassed a coaching search. For a coach who doesn't have an identity, who didn't have an identity two years ago, who was a Steve Kerr cover band during the 73-win season. And why did we not look at other – there were other, like, names who are allegedly going to be good. They could be assistants who end up being bad. But there were other names on the market. We did not do a coaching search for a guy who really doesn't have any strengths as a coach. And I do not understand yeah. that. When we had a guy who developed an identity for this team. And who was a great hire, I believe, at the time, considering everything. Well, they wanted to hire, you know, Walton, and Walton took the Laker job. I mean, yeah. Walton was always Vlade's preferred choice. So Which, I think that that another was thing, can we stop hiring people because they were Vlade's teammate 15 well, years ago? Well, that's also true. Um, I think that's the loudest I've gotten just, on here. If we can do that, can we hire a guy named Jason Williams, please? Yeah. Can we what? I don't know. To teach... teach Teach Fox to do some no-look shit. I like, maintain, and I've had people, I know he's not the typical coach personality. I maintain Jason Williams would be a great point guard coach in the NBA. I think that would be fantastic. If you can get, like, if he's capable of doing what he's capable of doing, and look, this is, this is naive on my part, I'm sure, to a point, but I don't see how he couldn't coach Fox to do some of that shit. Yeah. Right? It can't be impossible to do. Maybe that's not all you want your, your, your best player to spend his time doing, but part of the time, I would love to see some shit like that. Everybody would. Yeah. Um, Which I just completely, I just completely contradicted myself as saying. Can no, we please no, no, no. Stop? I mean, I, I, we're saying that that's a caveat. He's not hiring Bibby. That's, that's a, yeah. 
Um, I think that, you know, I've said this before, and I don't, it sounds more condescending than I mean it to, but I think Vlade makes very provincial decisions. I think Vlade very, very much makes decisions in the vacuum of Sacramento, in the vacuum of the Kings, and doesn't always think about, it's interesting because I think that like, and we've talked, you know, the, the organization, the Kings as an organization have been, have done some really good things. They've done some really good things on social justice. The stadium is beautiful. Um, They're a great business. I think I said this exact sentence to you the other day when you brought this up. They're a great business and a terrible basketball team. Yeah. And I, it's interesting to me that I, I, some of that is that I do think that the, the, the business side of it appreciates like the macro NBA, you know, the, the international quality of the league, the uh, social media quality of the league, you know, they, they appreciate the, the sort of the micro and the macro. I, I feel like with the basketball team, the team just kind of makes these decisions because they're familiar and they are comfortable and they play well to a specific subset of the Sacramento population, whether it's, okay, we're going to take Bagley because we don't want to upset Fox and everybody loves Fox and Fox is happy to be here. You know, they, they overcorrect everything. They, they, right. Or they just maybe – Maybe not even correct because that requires an error first. They overthink right. everything and exactly. They just make these these very sort of narrow mind not narrow minded is narrow vision, um, tunnel vision. I don't the narrow minded isn't the right word, but they, they just make these very sort of like small and local decisions. I'm going to hire Luke because he's my friend and I like him and I know the team will get along with him. And they weren't getting along with Dave, and it's just like, and that's not like you you have to make these. You, you make these decisions kind of on a macro level. You make these decisions with sort of the bigger picture in mind. You're an NBA team. You're, you're, you're Sacramento's team, absolutely. But you're an NBA team for – well, I mean, I, this is where it gets confusing, right? I, I think from a basketball product standpoint, you have to think of yourself as an NBA team first and Sacramento's NBA team second, right? From a business and operational standpoint, you're Sacramento first and the NBA second. But I think from a – that's an organizational operational standpoint. But from a franchise, from a team standpoint, from a roster standpoint, you have to think about the NBA 1 and the city of Sacramento 2. And I just don't think that they think that way. And that's when I say they, they think provincially. That's kind of what I mean. Like, I feel like so much of this organization is kind of micromanaged on the inside and the outside. Everybody is aware of all of their business. Their gossip is very public because it's a small team in a small town. Mm -hmm. Part of the charm of it and part of the fun of it. And I really think that some of that is residual from, um, you know, here we stay and wanting the the city and the team to be sort of innately tied together, which is great. But I I do think that sometimes that can have, um, it's not the fans fault clearly that, that some of this has happened because the fans wanted the opposite of what's happened. Um, but I think that sometimes that sort of, of myopia, that sort of, of, of limited vision um, adversely affects the decision-making of the team proper. And so it, it makes, you know, none of us, I, I think, resent the organization. I, I think we're frustrated with the organization for the basketball product at times, but I think we still feel really good about like the Kings on a macro level. Um, and it's those two shouldn't like exist separately, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think Vladi's kind of a hipster too. I forget where I brought that up, but no, I think that's very I true. Think, he is very much the type who's, oh, you like the Beatles? I like Velvet Underground. Yeah, he's a contrarian he's basketball a version of that. So it's like, oh, right. do you like Luca? I like Bagley. 
Oh, I'm not yeah. going to draft the Main Street player. I'm going to draft Yorgi Papayanis. Well, and look, it's like I'm I, I'm as tired of the Luca hype as anyone. I think yeah. it's like I think even if there wasn't the issue of the Kings passing on him, like like to me, Luca's Tiger King. And talking about Luca on the Kings is the Carol Baskin killed her husband. Yeah, it's like I'm just kind of fucking sick of all of it. Oh, so am I. It's just been done to death. Um, and I think even if, if, if like if we were drafting 14th, I would kind of be sick of Luca if he wasn't on my roster because I think that like a lot of the culture around Luca is annoying. Like that fucking song. Like there's like there's a lot of stuff that it's just like, dude, I don't. He's good, but there's still like 10 better players in the league. Yeah. Um, Having said that, they should have fucking drafted him. Anyway, we don't need to talk about this. I'm going to get back to the I'm going to move on to Disney World in a second. But, yeah, it's, it's I, I've said it on this podcast. At a certain point, Bagley and Luca cannot just always be in the same sentence. At a certain point, Bagley has to be Bagley. Maybe he's a bust. Maybe he's a star. At a certain point, we have to move on. It's not – we can complain all we want. But at a certain point, we have to move on and realize we're not going to get Luca. Maybe we'll get him in free agency. Yeah, maybe. But um, I don't how like is I don't. Everyone always like, oh well, that like I've been to Dallas. Dallas is like fine. Like I don't. Look, like, Dallas is a much bigger city than Sacramento. Obviously, um, there are there are a lot of beautiful things in Dallas, but it, Dallas is not fuck. Well, I was gonna say Dallas is not New York, but New York is now the epicenter of a global pandemic. So maybe not not the best time to compare any city to New York. But it's like Dallas is the world's most cosmopolitan goddamn place. Yeah. And if you're playing for the Mavericks and not the Cavs, like like Luca is still probably the seventh most popular athlete in Dallas after about six Cowboys. Yeah. So. Sorry, Jerry Jones, he's one of the most popular athletes. Yeah, exactly. He's probably the most popular person in Dallas. Um, uh, Orlando, like, are we just talking about going to Orlando? Just vacation trip in Orlando? Oh, yeah, or? just the trip we're going to do. Yeah, yeah. When all this I'm is not over. going to fucking Orlando. I've never been to Orlando. I have no desire to go to Orlando. No, but honestly, you know who is going I, to I, Orlando? If I, if I will, there will not be a part of me that if I die, and having never gone to Orlando, will be like, fuck, I really wish I'd gone to Orlando. As a Disney, as a Disney fan, which we'll move to in a second, as a Disney fan, I see the appeal because I do love Disneyland. So Disney World looks like that, but bigger. So I see that, but I can't say there's any other reason I want to go to Orlando. I don't want I mean, to go to a Magic game. I do like. I, I will say this. I do. I love Disneyland. You know, I, I've been with my brother multiple times. I, I will say, and this is, I cannot fucking believe I'm admitting this as a. Um, but I, I was watching these Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and I was like, damn, I really want to go on that ride. That would so be the perfect. I was just thinking, it's like, like so a normal lame. 31-year-old, I was thinking, like, how awesome would it be right now to just go to Disneyland like like a five-year-old at a toy store, except I'm 31, and it would be creepy to just be able to go to, like, no, Pirates I mean, of the Caribbean. And... Let me tell you, that's about – listen, when was the last time you were at Disneyland? Oh, actually... 10 years ago? Oh, really? Oh, I will say the older you get, the more you're like, holy, sh-. I mean, two thirds of Disneyland is adult weirdos. Yeah. And not I mean, even there was a, there was a, uh, viral, someone complaining, yes, I saw, it or I not, complaining yes. about people who go without kids. It's like, get right. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> everyone, loves everyone hates Disney, but everyone loves Disney. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, I, I just feel like Orlando is far. Right, and it's like, so I can go to fucking Epcot. Like I don't feel like they're like, are, are they opening like an Avatar Land? Like none of that seems appealing. Okay. To me. No one, 
they're currently spending like a billion dollars on three avatar sequels and let me hollywood if you're listening just the entity of hollywood nobody wants three avatar sequels they're the least remembers avatar they're the least popular blockbusters of all time it's wild it is like i think i think avengers surpassed it but it is the most lucrative movie of all time but it was lucrative because it set a 3d trend that nobody cares about anymore no one went to that for the plot james cameron when he doesn't have arnold schwarzenegger does not write good plots uh, the second aliens was pretty good did he write that or oh yeah look he's better he's best at action that's what i should say as an arnold schwarzenegger yeah, yeah. movie fan you know it's fun i've actually still never seen all of avatar and i've never seen any of titanic <laughs> i think so like are... the days of vhs when it came with two the second tape was good yeah i bet that's i so we I, i've just never seen either those are the two most I mean, I've seen fucking everything, like, it's, you know, I've seen every blockbuster, let's say. But those two in the Harry Potter movies, I've never seen any of the Harry Potter I've movies. only seen half of a Harry Potter movie. I like it's bothering, I like bothering so our colleague Bryant because he'll bring up J.K. Rowling, and every time I will just pop in oh, right. and leave, I will pop in most- and leave and say she's read more of my work than I have hers, and then just... True. It's, listen, that's very admirable. She's got Unfortunately, she's anyway. rewritten me, like, five times since, though. Like, she's... Now I'm just a Hufflepuff who has a thing for wizards like she's what the fuck is a hufflepuff i don't know i think it's a slur and i don't know if i just was problematic i think it's a slur in harry potter uh you know i think you're probably right so anyway so we're talking about this playoff thing yeah so disney world the nba is going to disney world um the marketing there just sells itself (laughs) what are your thoughts on this like 30 teams i've been to summer league there's two courts Is it going to be 30 teams? Oh, I guess I guess it's not. It's going to be – well, it's going to be at least if they're going 16 playoff seeds and four – at least four play-ins, there's 20 teams there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wait, so, but they're not opening the park, right? Would it just be the NBA? Heard, this is what I don't get. I heard the other day that NBA – or NBA, Disney World is going to start reopening, which to me yeah, – I think it's a terror. I think it's a I think this is a bad idea. I mean, I, they're screwed, right? Like, it's you have to do something, but whatever you do, it, it's not going to be ideal. It's not going to be what people want. It's not going to be, I don't know. There, there's, like, this part of me, I mean, obviously, I know that there's the revenue stuff, and you have to hit whatever that threshold is to, to make whatever the money is. Like, we should be, really be doing a much better job of articulating, don't come to this for facts. Yeah. Um, do not listen to this podcast for anything concrete, please. Or insight. Like, don't or come insight, for basketball. Right. Just, just come for incoherent rambling. Like, that's yeah. all that this podcast is good for. Honestly, we've um, stuck to the script. We didn't have a script, but we've stuck no. to basketball more than I expected. Yeah, really? I mean, when we just start talking about Ulysses, goddammit. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't, like, from an infrastructure standpoint, I think it's fine. There's plenty of space. I just, I, I don't know how, I don't, I don't fucking know. You know, this is all such unprecedented shit. They need um, to just embrace the Disney with it and just, like, have Mickey out there. And No, oh, I think that's a good idea. Have, yeah, they, have, could, they could play games on rides. Yeah. Oh, that's why I said I would love to see a game, like, in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. This is perfect. Just, that can be the – they should have the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, robots in the seat. You know how, like, some well, restaurants that, yeah. are doing sex dolls and yes. others are doing uh, mannequins? They should do Pirates of the Caribbean characters and – the in the stadium, what they should have is the, the audience. I mean, to the degree that, uh, to the better point, like 
to the degree that you can have it. Because I'm sure that those, I mean, you got to wear masks anyway, right? So I'm sure that the, uh, the masks that all those characters wear are probably, um, you know, N95S. Um, you should have all those people. That's who's in the stadium. Like, that's who's in the crowd. You know, like, whenever they do those shitty ABC crossover episodes where, like, the, the husband and wife and the Dunphys are going to break up in Modern Family, and then an uh, a non-communicative Daisy Duck shrugs a bunch and suddenly Phil realizes he's in love with his wife and they end up in front of Sleeping Beauty's yeah. castle with like fireworks going off. Um, I think that we need one of those, but just for the NBA season. So like the, we have an, a, a stadium full, but it's full of just like characters. Yeah, exactly. That's what I think. And like have the announcement, having Mickey Mouse's voice do the game. God, that sounds awful. Just be like, Goofy. If you don't like that, you don't like NBA basketball. <laughs> That was the best Mickey Mouse. What, what if it was Mickey with Grant's calls, but also Grant's politics? Mickey in a Blue Lives Matter t-shirt? neck and get out there and win. <laughs> Telling Pluto to shut up anytime he tries to... Mickey saying, why don't, we, why don't we worry about hiring the best coach? Why don't we just not talk about color? Whatever the fuck it is, Grant says. It's always something. <laughs> Grant I, has I, opinions, man. Grant definitely has. I don't think he's ever going to be a guest on this podcast. Um, no, most likely no. I think he did. He did one interview with Ziller once when we got the cease and desist letter on the the peaches T-shirt. The best. No offense to any other thing anyone has ever written. The absolute best thing in Sacktown royalty history was Tom Ziller's passive aggressive Grant Napier cease and desist interview. It was. it was, do you know who Isaac Chortner is? I'm not positive. He's this like interviewer for the New Yorker, but he asks these like really aggressive questions of, of like legitimately some like shitty people, not like, like whole pot shitty, but like, like Jordan Peterson, like annoying intellectuals and yeah. stuff like that. And that like, that Tom Ziller, I mean, Ziller could turn on the passive aggressiveness better than anybody. Um, but especially with fucking Grant. I, you know, it, it's still my biggest regret of the whole STR era is that I do not have the goddamn Peaches shirt. <laughs> Spencer fucking Haas has a Peaches shirt, and I don't. Wow. Well. I, I have the uh, Tyreek Evans Sacktown Royalty Night shirt. I have those jerseys that we all got. I think um, I was before my time, the jersey. No, was it? But I do not have the – and I have the King's Herald. Well, I don't have the King's Herald shirt yet, but – I'm a, a purple contributor or whatever, so I better fucking get one. Um, I, I'm not a I, contributor. I, Don't tell anybody. Oh God. You're, um, one of my, you're one of my Patreon contributors. Don't well, you know, I don't think I am at the moment because of my oh. credit card change that I haven't updated, so oh. I got to go back and update. Yeah, you, should, you should re-up since I haven't posted in like six months. But Yeah, I know. Exactly. I'm just giving you money to breathe, which, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do. Yeah. Um, but uh, that fucking Peaches shirt was great. God, I wish I had that guy in T-shirt. We have. It's one of those things that we've had a few discussions on, but I would love to be able to get T-shirts made, like funny ones. Like we, the, the King's Herald logo on the shirt is awesome. Look, I saw the black shirt with that, and it just looks amazing. Yeah. But it'd be – I'm fascinated by this T-shirt industry. We're – I think that was before we started recording, but we were talking about, like, rich person purchases – I've always thought, like, if I had the money, just having a T-shirt press to make random T-shirts would be a goal. Oh, I actually have a couple of friends that are doing that. Um, yeah, I think that that's great. It's, it's like this. I was joking with someone once that it's like, 
you you see these businesses usually they'll pop up like in my instagram feed where it's like it's like you remember busted tees that had all of the like like pop culture adjacent shirts yeah so it would be like they were kind of the first ones to do like a callahan auto parts t-shirt but then like like now like like 20 years later you'll like see it will it'll be a different like catalina wine mixer like you'll see oh, yeah. some other business that like rolls those t-shirt out those t-shirts out again and they're all of these like like decades old cultural references and you're like are people even wearing these shirts anymore it's why and then you'll see some like dude at a sparrow at the mall had the shirt on and you're like oh yeah fucking course i'm so fascinated <laughs> specifically about how copyrights work with t-shirts because so many websites claim to like do not use your own use stuff that is not your own intellectual property but then i have a shirt with adam sandler on it that says this is how I win. I'm wearing a Mamma Mia shirt right now that I know was not made by Meryl Streep and company. It's a, it's a really good question because I've had, like, I got a t-shirt printed um, for my birthday that had, like, images, but it wasn't, like, and they were, like, cultural images, but, like, I, I don't know, because, like, my brother tried to get a, a Disney t-shirt made once, like, as a joke, um, and they wouldn't do it. So I don't know if it's there are just certain companies that are particularly litigious. Yeah. Well, Disney is notorious. Well, of course, so Disney's litigious. Shit. Now Disney needs the goddamn money since it's yeah. obviously, since they're opening it up to the NBA, since the stupid theme parks have been closed Which, for a prolonged period of time. There's a billion dollars you're currently spending on an Avatar sequel that you could use to pay your employees, and just as many people will care to see that. Well, how far along is this Avatar sequel? I heard they were making, like, massive sets, but... Isn't that like who, who's the star of that fucking movie? That guy's like a nobody, right? Sam like, Worthington. Yeah, Sam Worthington. That's right. Zoe Saldana's in it too. Since? He made that Christian Bale Terminator movie. Oh God! I mean, you could tell me that guy's name was like Jim Flunkington, and I'd be like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Of course hey. it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I it never ceases to amaze me. I was watching this Fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movie, which is fine. But it's like they have Javier Bardem and they have Johnny Depp, and then everybody else in it is no one I've ever gives. Paul McCartney. In it, it's Paul McCartney, isn't it? I saw his cameo singing uh, Maggie like, May. He's not a a terrible. Um, he's not bad in it. I love. That's what I love about those movies. It's like Keith Richards and Paul McCartney are part of that. Well, Keith Richards was rumored to be in it as soon as they said a sequel because the the Sparrow role was Depp yeah. supposedly based he is on Keith, Keith Richards. I think those movies, if Keith Richards was just Captain Jack Sparrow, probably are just as popular. Yeah, although he's, like, he's, I mean... He's done too much cocaine to ever memorize. Well, and heroin. I mean, and alcohol. And his dad's ashes. Right. (laughs) It's a miracle that that guy's still alive, right? He's never died. on its own. But whenever you hear him talk and look at him, it's like, all right, he should be dead, but he's definitely, like... Not in the best physical condition. <laughs> he's, not, he, he's not a healthy, um, however the fuck old he is. Um, friend of friend of the former incarnation of the podcast, Hebert, talked <laughs> likes to talk about the story where he was apparently climbing up a tree not too long ago, trying to get a coconut, and he just like fell on his skull and was fine. Yeah, well, it's, it's a lot fucking worse. If Keith Richards that. ever dies, it's going to be like the dumbest thing. He's survived too many major things. Yes. Yeah, there's yes. going to be like a cold. Yeah. It won't even be COVID. It'll be something like we just got to be COVID-18. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be the, the evolved COVID we all have to deal with in another decade. Yeah. 
But it's that guy. I have his autobiography and I, I've had it for like five years and I just, I need to be in the right set before I read it because I know I'll become obsessed with it. Yeah, I've come in and out of it. It's really, really good. I mean, it's pretty much exactly what you expect of it. And remarkably, it's, you said it's obvious that he's hit, had a hard life when you see him talk, but he's remarkably sharp. He's not Ozzy Osbourne. No, he definitely isn't. He's sharp and he's also like um, not aggressively, he's sharp, he's not aggressively sentimental and he's not aggressively like, and I like ever since then I like haven't drank, which I mean, you know, God bless everybody that's not, but you know, most of those guys Clapton and, and Neil Young and you know, those guys are all at AA and, and detox yeah. and completely understandably so. But Keith Richards is the one guy that's kind of still unapologetically, like he kicked the drug habit and was kind of like, well, I'm still going to drink. Like I got to have something. That's how you know, whenever someone lives to be 100 years old, the first thing they always say, when, what's the trick? They always like, oh, I have a glass of bourbon every night. Yeah, exactly. It's never, yeah. I, I run 15 miles a day and eat cottage cheese for every meal. Right. Why well, is cottage cheese that healthy for you? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. I All right, so what, oh, so what if we promised people that we're missing out on? We said, uh, you chapters. We were going to rank the sexiness of, of Sacktown Royalty Editors. You're all sexy, in my opinion. That's uh, the, but us I, two are the sexiest. So next question. Yeah, I, I think that that's inarguable. It's, our, it's the dulcet tones. You know, we've got these great radio voices. <laughs> Which one of my one-star one. reviews is the, the host has a terrible voice and there's terrible oh. audio quality. We're, we're going to get zero on this one. Yeah. <laughs> It's bad voices, bad audio quality, <laughs> incoherent rambling. No I, know you, I know you live, although he, he's a national host, so you might have heard him down there. There's the guy who's on Sports 1140 at night, who's a national guy named Pharrell. And I, I sound like Barry White compared to this guy. Oh, is it really This that guy, bad? he's, welcome to Pharrell at night. Like, the type of voice, I'm not, that isn't that far off. I'm not a master impressionist. That was far better than my Mickey impression. Who's he? on 1140 at this point dave is still on brant is on um jason co-host with dave okay um i think matt george pops in occasionally there we go all people who love me <laughs> well dave loves you i maybe yeah and jason <laughs> ross all my all my interactions with jason ross and everything i've ever heard that's just he's just a great guy yeah, yeah, yeah. yes he definitely is he's a good dude but yeah. um, at least you have people that have opinions of you. I mean, that's, you know, it's good to loved or hated. It's good for people to have an opinion. To, to uh, quote Pirates of the Caribbean, which is a weird running theme for this one, when they say, it's, you're the worst pirate I've ever heard of, and Jack Sparrow but says, heard of him. but you have heard of me. Exactly. I that's an excellent that Jack Sparrow was. impression also. I'm just, I'm thinking of rebranding as Frank Caliendo. <laughs> I'm about as good as impressions. Frank Caliendo fucking sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> Half his impressions are like, I remember he had that show and he, it was 10 years, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever that was. He had that show that they always advertised during games. And half his impressions were like him squinting and going like, I'm Robert De Niro. Yeah, exactly. His impressions are like great if all you want is a voice that sounds semi-familiar. And that's why he's like perfect for ESPN and sports personalities. Because like if you're impersonating Mel Kuyper, like you don't have to have any like inflection or actual personality or any insight into the impression. All you got to do is mimic the fucking person. <laughs> and Frank Caliendo fucking sucks. It's hilarious to think that that was like a thing at one point in time. Oh, there's so like comedians from like 10 years ago you're like how did they well someone was talking about like the fact Matt, i guess mad tv the the mad tv library is available on hbo plus 
or HBO Max, whatever the fuck that HBO is. Someone was saying, get ready for Miss Swan, people. It's true. It's like... That was a wild show. <laughs> yes. I didn't actually watch a ton of bad TV, but it's like... I did see a stand-up set from, I think your name is Angela Johnson. I saw her at Cash Creek, and she was funny. I think she has a Netflix special. Yeah, and I think she was on Mad TV, wasn't she? Yeah. I also or, think she had a semi-character uh, uh, who probably wouldn't age well in 2020. She didn't like that nail woman, the buku yeah. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She yeah. was a good stand-up act. She was, I think, a cheerleader for like the Raiders or something. Oh, she's she's an attractive woman. She's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what this is devolved into us rating the hotness of uh, yeah, uh, bad uh, stand-up TV. comics or or like Nikki Glaser. I think she had a show. It sucks. <laughs> I, I I will say this. I watched uh, two thirds of um, the other Missy. Not as terrible as you would think it would. It's not good. I don't know what that is, to be honest. It's the, oh, uh, that's David a Spade, Lauren Lupkiss. Netflix movie. I like Lauren Lupkiss. She's good in it. Oh. I mean, she's just very... Like, I actually... I texted you this the other day when we were talking. I was just writing about, for my day job, I was writing about Nikki Glaser and how Blake Griffin really offended her during the roast of Alec Baldwin which was hilarious to me that a stand-up comedian got shook by Blake Griffin. She sucks. I, I think that her, I think she's pretty notorious for having like a pretty thin skin. And like, I, she has like a, I think she has like a sketch show on Netflix right now. And is like, it, it's not, I think you should, have you watched, I think you should leave it all. Oh, uh, no. You would like that. That, I mean, if, to those people who have not, I think you should leave is the, the Netflix sketch comedy show. Each episode's about like 15 to 20 minutes. There's an Instagram account, or excuse me, a Twitter account dedicated to uh, crossing over. And all of these accounts have a, a tendency and a potential to go really south, to be like a funny gimmick once. And then you're like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm team sign with this shit. But that's not a bad one. And there's a very good Fred Willard sketch in it. Um, oh, rest in peace. I loved that. Rest in peace to Fred Willard. I know, fuck. Um, yeah, I know, we're losing all the heroes. I know. It's been, been a rough few months. Someone here. said he got, without getting too graphic, he was so beloved that he got caught touching himself in an adult theater and no one cared. What the fuck else are you supposed to do in an adult theater? Which, I don't, you know, I, again, I don't want to get too graphic, but what, why? Why go? What? What? Why are there still, here's the better question why are there still adult theaters? <laughs> and who wants to go? Have people heard of the internet? Yeah, like this seems to be a thing that should be outmoded at this point. Like it should not be necessary. You're telling me that adult theaters outlasted Radio Shack and Circuit City. Well, they're probably cheaper. I you know, and it's like, I will say, it's like a communal experience. You know, you want to be around other people. Some things don't need to be communal experiences. <laughs> they really don't. Like, <laughs> generally speaking, I would say it's preferable that they not but be. Fred Willard, RIP. Regardless um, of your strange habits in some regards, R.I.P. Fred, yes. Fred, Fred, Fred Willard, the legend. Um, Nikki Glaser, not the legend. Uh, uh, no, yeah, not a legend. Um, I guess what hurt her, she said she was like coming on to Blake Griffin. He said in his set that she looked like Larry Bird, and it went from there. That could be a compliment to some people. I guess Larry not to Nikki Glaser. Which Larry Bird? It's true, too. College Larry Bird. I don't think that he had man, a I feel like he's one of those people who looked the same for like 30 years. And then when he, he got that Danny Ainge thing where he kind of looked similar and then he just aged. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I think, too, when you're like – I think Walton had that to a point. I think when you're a basketball player and you're just sort of, like, gangly physically, like, when you hit the wall, you hit the fucking wall. Yeah. Like, like you especially, – Especially not to generalize, but everyone we mentioned, the Caucasian basketball players. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because I saw – I mean, well, Walton was also huge, but I remember – he was throwing t-shirts into a crowd once at a Kings game. I honestly think this was like 2002. So I have no idea how he was now, but he was so wobbly on those fucking knees. Oh, now maybe yeah. he's like, like been doing some like regenerative shit since, and he's in much better shape, but I was just like, Oh man, he it sort of looks like a, like a former wrestler or something. Well, he like missed, a, he sincerely missed more games in his career than he played. So I'm sure right. well, he was hurt perpetually. Um, uh, so what, what have we missed? What, what, what high notes have we not hit? Or low notes, I think, would probably be more appropriate. No. <laughs> Just continue to complain about Avatar. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't even think I hated Avatar when it came out. I think it just was. Like, it's it was nothing. like, wow, this, exactly. 3D, this 3D isn't red and blue. That's kind of cool. And that then, movie was popular because people did drugs or smoked weed. I didn't even say do drugs. That movie was popular with people that got high and went to see it and were like, holy shit, this kicks ass. It was up for best picture, and people were shocked Hurt Locker beat it. If you want to know, well, that was his ex-wife too, wasn't it? Wasn't that the uh, wasn't that uh, Cameron's ex-wife? Yeah. Uh, But yeah, well, there are some bad movie years, man. Um, I think this was the first year in years where I was like, okay, I love this movie, and completely see why it won. Yeah, like, it was not my favorite movie of the year, but it was definitely the best movie of the year. Uncut Gems was still robbed, but... Um, Well, my first... I I was a big Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fan, but I would never pretend that that was the best movie of the year. Quentin Tarantino movies, I love them all. Um, All his strange quirks aside, I love all Quentin Tarantino movies. They're always just good enough to not win Best Picture, even though a lot of them should have. Pulp Fiction, probably, definitely. But I do... I know it's become popular on the internet to hate Forrest Gump, but it's a great movie. Forrest Gump is a great movie, and I will say with Pulp Fiction, on rewatch, I mean, you you can't take it out of the context of the time, because the movie was made in, like, 1994, and it's it's crazy to think that that was 94. But I will say that's only four years removed from Goodfellas, and as jarring as Pulp Fiction is, it's not that far... uh, evolved from goodfellas if that makes sense like yeah. like it's not that much more jarring than it's goodfellas it's the one that changed the game hmm? it's the one that changed the game pulp fiction like there were a couple of years where the movies that came out that were filming during pulp fiction had that early 90s feel but pulp fiction was the one who like if there's a movie that got us into where we are today as far oh, as yeah. that type of movie it's pulp fiction for sure which is an argument why it should have won but it's yeah but it's, just on rewatch, it, it is a very – It's a, you forget how small of a movie it is. Oh, Even for how big the cast is and the cultural impact. It's the, you know, the set pieces are so relatively simple and, like, two-character and tiny arcs. It, I mean, it's what works about the movie, but, you know, it, it's, it looms so large. And, like, Tarantino's really kind of devoted himself in the back half of his career to spectacle. Like, you know, big yeah. movies, like, period pieces, big budgets, big casts. And oh. you go back to Pulp Fiction, it's, it's very quaint, um, retrospectively, compared to what he's done since, really since Kill Bill. I, yeah. once he well, got- Hateful Eight was, even though it was a period piece, it was very into it. It was the closest he's done to Reservoir Dogs since Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, I, I loved, actually rewatched Hateful Eight a couple of weeks ago. It's really, I think, 
once upon a time in Hollywood removed, because I think that's a little bit more personal of mm-hmm. the that sort of trilogy of, of period pieces between Inglorious, um, Django, and Hateful Eight. I think Hateful Eight is actually my favorite of those three. I know it's kind of the least popular, but I what? think it's the um, it's the it, it's just sort of the most um, what's the the right, right way to articulate it? It just kind of doesn't give a shit. Like yeah. it just sort of embraces what it is and doesn't try for anything else. And I it's, think sometimes when it try, when Tarantino pushes a little too hard for added relevance, it doesn't always stick. Yeah. Oh no, he has. It's, there's flaws in Quentin Tarantino's existence. Well, obviously, he just there's a myriad flaws. Yeah. Yes. I think Inglorious um, Masters is still. I I think I don't know if it's my favorite Tarantino movie, but I think it's his most well-made movie. It is exceedingly well made, and it works exceedingly well. I, yeah. Sometimes I just think, it, and now I think that this is a fair criticism of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's all of this is subjective. I, I just think that sometimes Inglorious gets a little too cute, yeah. in the way that it rewrites history. Oh yeah. Although I would argue that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does it tenfold. It does. It does, and that's what I'm saying. It's completely subjective. I, you could make the same argument and have the same frustration with with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and you would be completely fair in doing so. It was going to whatever reason I liked it more in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. I think whichever Probably one. Because I'm narcissistic and I'm like, oh, I've eaten at those restaurants and gone to those bars. I'm just like these guys. I'm Brad Pitt. Yeah. So I was, Brad and I were joking earlier because we're on a Zoom call and I was showing him my apartment and he was saying that, you know, people post photos of Los Angeles and they're always like, my place from the beach and my window is the adjacent apartment complex. You can barely see a palm tree peeking out from another apartment complex on the other side of my apartment complex and that's my Los Angeles view. So just living the glamorous Hollywood life. So, well, I, what I was talking about before this is like, you especially get with sports where everyone in Los Angeles really, they really bank, which power to them. They bank on the idea that a lot of people haven't been to Los Angeles and think that all these people are living on the beach, sipping margaritas and all that. And it's like, these people who brag about how great Los Angeles is and just everything about it, I would love to see where they live. And see if they are really in a much better spot than someone in New York. No, no. I'm going to tell you right now. Two thirds of those fucking people live in shittier apartments than I do in the Valley. They're in Burbank. They're in fucking Sherman Oaks. They're in Reseda. They're in North Hollywood, which are fine places. I'm not criticizing any of those places by any means. I like all of them. So it's but but they're all living in those places, and they're all fucking. You know, they live next door to someone that was in two episodes of American Housewife, um, and they're telling their parents, oh, yeah, my neighbor is on TV. Um, <laughs> they're no, the, I mean, who's the guy in Uncut Gems who's just randomly the neighbor for, like, five seconds? Oh, John Amos? Yeah. <laughs> and you know what's funny? I rewatched that movie two days ago, and I had completely forgotten that he made that cameo. It's so funny. It's just, it is. That movie is great. If you haven't watched it, well, it's a quintessential um, basketball movie that's not a basketball movie. We yes, talked about absolutely. it a lot last week, actually, and because we wanted How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days to be Uncut Gems for the Kings. Well, how did that work? Well, um, the finals, we were, I was, my complaint was it takes place in an NBA finals against the Kings and Knicks in 2002, oh, yeah, 2003. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Sorry, yes. yes and so it. it's... For some reason you said that and I immediately thought 10 things I hate about you. I don't know why my mind went there. <laughs> Someone else when number. I was talking about it did that same thing. Well, they're both, you could see why. But uh, yeah, so the finals take place throughout the movie but they they don't serve the plot in any way so we were saying 
you got to make this a full blown blown basketball movie if you're going to do this. Not go to one game, film it, and then just sort of add it to the plot. Right. But yeah, watch Uncut Gems, everyone, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Last yeah, uh, Uncut Gems is. Um, if you like Joker, I hate you. Yeah, I'm just. I kind of, I did kind of like Joker. I'm not gonna lie. I kind of enjoyed it. I've overplayed. It's one of those movies I didn't hate on it. I just hate the idea of it. I think that's fair. I think that's completely reasonable. I and feel I like we need a movie podcast. <laughs> no, we get we get a movie podcast, and then all we, all we do is talk about like TV the or. A, well, at this point, we have like there's like I think we could. King's Herald has like we've got Snackermeno. King yeah. Herald has, the King's Herald is sort of established. It's its own earwolf at this point. Yeah. Like we're, we're now a sort of network of podcasts, so we can kind of do whatever we want. Beagler and Geyser at the movies coming up. Yeah, well, we just got to figure out like a. We need like a good prompt for it. I've got a prompt. I'll share with you off mic. Okay. Well, I'm I'm happy to hear. Let's okay. start with ranking Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No one has a Marvel podcast. There's got to be a Marvel podcast, right? I'm kidding. Yeah, there's, there's probably like 30 of them, honestly. That's a, a going back to Disney World. Then we could wrap up this. Um, yeah, ten o'clock. We didn't even mention Marvel, like the possibility of having Marvel characters and having like we. You could cool. argue now. You could argue that Bogdan Bogdanovich is now part of the MCU. Oh, I really like that. That's actually a really good idea. I mean, the reality is this. What intellectual property does Disney not own? Friday the 13th, as you pointed out, is owned by uh Do you know Lance what's not very Armstrong? intellectual as a property, even though they own it, is Avatar. Yeah, it's, very, it's an excellent point. Do they, they speak another language, those people, right? Whatever the fuck those blue people are. Bullshit. Like, like um, or something like that. Isn't that I, don't, I, know, I know their tails helped, helped them ride horses and do the deed. I don't know. Frank, James Cameron, please just go back to Terminator. But like, what, what, I wonder what that guy's like day-to-day lifestyle even is. I mean, that guy's got to have like... He's a narcissist. Like the, well, what, because he said I'm king of the world when he won that Oscar? No, he just... He, you could just tell he thinks every idea he... He's, he's every 65-year-old boomer who considers himself an entrepreneur. That's a really, I'm going to say, that's a damn good insight, which is why we don't need another fucking Avatar movie from him. Like, what is that movie even going to be about? Like, anyway, I, people are going to be like, you listen to this podcast, all these guys did was complain about Avatar the entire yeah. fucking time. I got to say, the is, a, is a movie I haven't even watched all of. I, I've seen it a handful of times on basic cable for 15 minute spreads and have been like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Does, did you ever see the musical Chess, which is a musical about chess? I've heard about it. I've never seen I need to. I've seen it like three times. But every time I go to see it, look, with musicals, as you well know, there's a suspension, inherent suspension of disbelief, yeah. right? It's a musical. People are fucking singing. But there's never been a time I haven't gotten to chess where the second or third thing in I didn't think was these people are fucking singing about chess, <laughs> which is the same thing it is with Avatar. Those it's are like, the best. The- what I appreciate now, I know I'm a parody of myself. What I appreciate about Mom- Mama Mia well, I just like forgot how to talk for a second. What I appreciate about Mamma Mia is like, they don't even try. It's just in the second one, they're just randomly singing when I kiss the teacher and then they just move on. There's never, it's just. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a there's no narrative rationale for it. It's a bunch of attractive people singing popular songs. Yeah. It's a goddamn jukebox movie, right? Isn't yeah. that what they call it at this point? Yeah. Um, anyway, Avatar's like chess. Both suck. There we go. There's my insight. <laughs>
Avatar is really, a shiny version really, of Joker. Really? Cause, well, I don't know. Joker was good. Uh, <laughs> My brother thought that. It was good the first time Martin Scorsese did it without clown makeup. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, you're dead right. Like, there's just no argument about that. And it's fucking Todd Phillips who hasn't made a nuanced goddamn movie in his life, right? I think that's what makes it. I don't even. I, I, I talk about it. My friend who I always argue about, Joker, listens to the podcast sometimes, so he's going to love this. Shout out to Chris. Um, but my biggest, my biggest gripe with it is it really thinks it's saying something. And my friends who like it disagree with me, but this movie the whole time tells you it's saying something grand. It's never saying anything. Well, yeah, I think it's nihilistic in what it's saying. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with you. I, I think what it's saying is like society. We live in a society. Which, Right, it's definitely a we live in a society movie. <laughs> that's, that's its message. I, mean, I, I thought it was enjoyable in its nastiness because it is kind of nasty. I, I thought it was, I, this is what I was saying. It was the, well, it, it, it is ripping off uh, King of Comedy and After Hours and Taxi Driver most blatantly. Um, it, 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 it evoked those locales and those movies pretty effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if it is cosplay of those movies, I at least appreciated the effectiveness with which it presented the cosplay of them. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like it's, it's being repetitive and redundant of those movies, but there's maybe something a little interesting about a quote unquote comic book or superhero movie that's ripping off of a seventies um, grit porn. It's actually, I, I rewatched the, uh, the have you ever porn. seen the John Milius doc, that John Milius documentary? Years ago. So it's, I rewatched it because I watched Magnum Force the other day, which is also a good movie. Um, nihilistic, but a good movie. Um, in any case, and he had written the script for that. But I, I had forgotten, because now Scorsese is like the, um, and actually somebody tweeted something similar to this subsequently. But, um, you know, Scorsese now is kind of like the cuddly, you know, he's, he's, he's Grandpa Marty. And he's sort of the patron saint of, of the film snob and he's, he's, he's fun and he's engaging and he's self-deprecating and he's still got it. And he's making movies about older people and he's become sort of more yeah. self-aware and aware of his mortality. But I forgot like, cause they were showing these cover stories, how like he was really considered this like nihilistic kind of punk provocateur because of those, you know, because especially a taxi driver, obviously, and to a lesser degree, Mean Streets, but because of the intense violence of those movies, it really yeah. wasn't until Raging Bull, which was so formalist. And I think it actually, because I've never been a big Raging Bull fan, but I think it explains both why he made Raging Bull and the popularity of it, because it sort of solidifies him as a real filmmaker because it's black and white, and because it's so elegant, and it's I'm not so surprised Joker wasn't black and white. It's a good point. I mean... <laughs> It actually totally could have been just a cell phone on that. It seems like something Todd Phillips would think made it better. It definitely feels like a movie that could go in and out of being black and white. Like, like depending on where he's at, it's black and white. Um, So I I think it's easy to take for granted now how, um, how edgy those movies were at the time. And so it definitely, Joker definitely feels like a film that is trying to execute that edge and that look, but only in in a superficial sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Except that I, I liked it for those reasons. Like, like I, I wasn't looking for more from it, so I liked it for the superficiality of it. <laughs> I think, and like, my, my new go-to for my friends who liked it is if they don't like something, I just say, oh, did it not have the character explain all the themes to a talk show host at the end? Because that's when it, re- when it first lost me is five minutes in when kids are beating up Joker and one of them says, beat him up. <laughs> and then at the end it lost me because 
the character, you can tell it's not saying anything. So he tries to have the character say every theme of the movie, but it has no themes because it's a stupid movie by the guy who made Hangover. Also, the plot is 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 built around a video going viral in the seventies. It's in, you know you know how popular home movies were in 1976. Of course, someone would be at a comedy club filming a guy that's. Hey, well, Joaquin Joaquin is. He was great. Joaquin Phoenix deserved his Oscar. I will I will admit that. Well, one. it's kind of also basically he's playing the exact character he played in The Master, except this time he's a fucking comic book villain. <laughs> and it's also the movie that's so proud of not being your typical superhero movie. But no, we have to see Bruce Wayne's parents. Spoiler alert. Get murdered outside of the right. For the well, it's also time. Frankly, it's confusing because they have Thomas Wayne played by the uh, senator from Dark Knight Rises. Just like, oh, I didn't even make that. Like, what the fuck? I remember when it was filmed, Alec Baldwin was going to be Thomas Wayne. And, oh, was he? Yeah, and he denied that Thomas Wayne was going to be a part of it because it was like people were like what an uninspiring choice because they, he was clearly a surrogate for certain people in today's landscape. And uh, right. He said, I was never in it. And then I was watching this out and I thought that was definitely written for Alec Baldwin. It for sure. Actually, it makes a lot more sense as Alec Baldwin. And than it does. someone said, which I think would have been interesting, the way to do that, if you have to include that stupid scene we've seen a million times, have him kill Bruce. You want to be the Jokerless Batman movie? Kill off Batman. I, I still think they're going to make a fucking sequel, which will well, then be will. confusing because they're also making that Robert Pattinson fucking Batman movie. Oh, the DC Universe... So- it, its continuity is going to be hilarious. Well, it doesn't exist. <laughs> like, I mean, nothing overlaps with anything else at this point. Like, everything just sort of exists in its own weird universe. The MCU, yeah, it's it's like the MCU kind of took it started with Iron Man. That Iron Man at the time was not popular. Where DC was like, here's Superman. Yeah. Now it's Batman and Wonder Woman. Well, now it's just they've done, they've done it. I mean, obviously, MCU has done a like spectacular job of controlling everything like they've done it i mean far better than any like obviously far better than star wars or lucas like, me, done i haven't even slandered episode nine yet well we don't have to this is why i said what i said about this look i'm not saying the pirates of the caribbean movies are good i mean they're entertaining but those first three pirates of the caribbean movies are a really pure trilogy where shit is paid off in the third movie it is it was clearly even i don't think they wrote the first one with the sequel in mind they escalated things through two and three to the point that everything comes fucking full circle. Everything is appropriately explained. Shit that starts in the first movie is appropriately played off in the third one. There isn't like a Death Star 2. You know, it's like it, 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 the, the action escalates. The set pieces are bigger, but they're not repetitive of the previous set pieces. I mean, they're not good movies necessarily, but as a trilogy of films, the third one is a, a, an involvement of the first one. Whereas the third fucking of the, the most recent star anyway, uh, this is then this is really just going to get us complaining about it because I have the same. I mean, those fucking three Star Wars movies they made no sense narrative. <laughs> Which the first ones people said that they should have had a plan. The first three didn't have a plan going through, but like I never had an issue with the first one being derivative of the first trilogy because they were bringing it back to roots after a prequel trilogy almost nobody likes. So I was fine with that. Then Ryan Johnson comes in and he makes it interesting he says no midi-chlorians screw that um hey this kid might have the force all that he's like let's go into a new place to a new frontier then jj abrams comes back and goes nah well it's this whole thing where they're like ray and and ben kiss but it's not like a romantic kiss and it's like well that then that's the most uninteresting relationship in the entire show 
Like, why make that sexless? Like, the sexual tension between Han and Leia is one of the two or three best things about those, about the original trilogy. It's like the only interesting through plot in the entire fucking new trilogy is is their sort of weird on again off again sexual tension and then you're gonna say they're just buddies like for the sake of a nine-year-old kid like i don't really know like like no one has any idea what the fuck they're doing with those movies and i mean that's a big enough universe to the dc universe to your point at this point that there's so much goddamn shit out there that it kind of doesn't matter you can kind of pick and choose what you like and dislike but there is something to be said for the uh narrative cohesion of the marvel universe now the trade-off for that is that I love when I read these articles or see these posts where someone posts like a, a still from Hiroshima Monomore and says like, if not for Hiroshima Monomore, you never would have gotten Iron Man 3. It's like, all right, let's just cool our heels on the, uh, the cultural relevance of Iron Man fucking 3. It's like James Gunn has been posting like favorite movies on social media. And he had something today about like, if not for, it was some like cult Japanese uh action film was like if not for this movie you never would have gotten suicide squad 2 and guardians of the galaxy it's like let's not overstate the importance of either suicide squad 2 which no one's fucking seen or guardians of the galaxy i like those movies just fine but it's like it took self-congratulatory about your shitty comic book movies with a talking raccoon i'll i'll let us go in a second but this is a life hack that i want everyone listening to take to heart you ever want to sound smart while not knowing what you're talking about compare a movie to kurosawa just yeah exactly say, say it's kurosawa it's probably right that it's derivative of it and but you'll sound snobby and everyone will hate you and you will sound as smart as you think yes yeah that's perfect I, that's a, that is a great send off to all the aspiring filmmakers listening to this 95 minute regional podcast about, about the Sacramento Kings, Kings that podcast. stopped being about the Sacramento, Sacramento Kings about an hour ago and it's turned into us bitching about Nikki Glaser and Avatar. Well, I <laughs> should I just make that the teaser right there? <laughs> that right yeah, down right there. Didn't even need a teaser. What was what was the name of the article that Felix Biederman wrote on the Joker that you had sent me? Like you won't remember any of this or whatever yeah. the hell it was. Yeah, Maybe it was Deadspin. for this podcast. I was thinking potpourri. You know the Jeopardy. <laughs> that's not bad either. The Jeopardy category. Yeah, I think that's going to be it. Potpourri. This is when I thrive on podcasts because it doesn't force me to retain anything that I'm incapable of retaining. <laughs> yep. Things related. I, I, the, my podcasts are the anti-Tim podcast because Tim is a is a font of king's random statistics and it takes me 20 minutes to remember Corey joseph <laughs> oh yeah I, I tim and omer watch basketball in a complete different way than i do yes well in my case they watch it i get too nervous to watch king's game so half the time i just follow the score and, and, and follow you know follow sort of our conversations collectively and have a general idea of what's going on i watch on my phone but i'm i, I like story i I make fun of not believing in numbers. I know stats have their place, but I'm far more intrigued by the stories than whether someone's analytics match up to someone else's analytics. I, love, I, I enjoy being petty about the Warriors. Just I have more fun just obsessively calling people Kevin Durant because that's what's fun to me. Not Well, I, my issue with the Warriors is that everybody in Sacramento is a turncoat bitch for jumping on that bandwagon. The Warriors are the joker of teams. That's how they're going to be remembered. Draymond Green is the Joker. No, they're just as a team. No one's going to remember them. They're going to remember LeBron blocking Iguodala. You know, it's funny that you say that because I, I do think there's validity to I, – I do think there's validity to the fact that once Durant got there, 
and they won two titles, obviously, with Durant there. They lost all personality. Mm -hmm. Like, whatever made that team interesting ceased being interesting once Durant got there because it, it just made them so pornographically good that it, it sort of – I mean, I really like Kerr. I think Kerr is a really interesting personality, and I, I'm, I'm very happy for his success, and I think he's just generally seems to be, like, a good dude. Um, but the, the Bay Area doesn't deserve him, one. <laughs> uh, and two, uh, well, listen, there's, no, there's nothing better than exactly what I wanted to have happen happen. The one, the one credit I will give to Durant is that I'm so glad he bailed just as they moved into that super expensive stadium in San Francisco. Because my family is from Oakland, and I always kind of liked the Dubs because there was always a, a healthy uh, camaraderie between in Oakland, Oakland and East Oakland. The only place there was ever Warriors fans pre-2013. You get some of the East Bay. I, I think, you know, Hayward, San Leandro, Fairfield. No, Fairfield's not really the East Bay. Like, no one in San Francisco watches sports. They no, enjoy no. talking about they, they paid some semblance of attention. There was a, a certain type of fan that paid some semblance of attention to that uh, um, we believe team as it bled into the next season, the Baron Davis, Don Nelson, uh, Monte Ellis. But most fans now did never paid attention to that fucking team. So in any case, I was glad that, that uh, Durant bailed in time for that team to suck shit so all those shitty tech yeah. people could get stuck with the bill. I mean, not like they care because they're all fucking richer than shit anyway, but it's just nice that that was the product they were stuck with. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's the perfect end to the Ayn Rand fan fiction that is Joe Lacobe's basketball Okay, all right, game. here we go. So Ayn Rand, this is going to be the send-off. What are, because I was thinking about this today, it's a good last topic for you and I, what are the most uh, pretentious books to have be your favorite book? I don't believe anyone actually reads. Uh... Wow. I know her name and the name of the book that they, for some reason, made a trilogy out of. Just completely... Anne Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> the name just like slipped. It was about to come out and then it just left my mind. Atlas Shrugged? Yeah, Atlas Shrugged. I don't know. I knew that, and then it just left me. But well, it's, yeah. it's Atlas shrugged in the Fountainhead, and what's the other one? I don't remember the other one. I don't know. And so anyway, so I think that's clear, clearly on the list. So my list was Ulysses. Even though I, I read the book and loved the book, it's mm -hmm. definitely a pretentious book to say as a favorite. Um, someone pointed out on Twitter the Power Broker, which is the Robert Carroll biography of Robert uh, Moses. That's like a thousand pages that every like fake intellectual says is their favorite book. If your um, favorite book is in biography, you're uninteresting. If your favorite book is a biography about the um, civil service architect of late 20th century New York, mid 20th century New York, <laughs> then you're particularly uninteresting. Like that is a self. And the other one is, is Robert Carroll's Lyndon Johnson book. Both of those Carroll biographies, the Lyndon Johnson biography and the Robert Moses biography, Ulysses, I just said, um, any Ayn Rand book, uh, Infinite Jest, even though I think it's a good book, Gravity's Rainbow. And then I feel like I had one other. I make oh, fun I'm of TJ. I make fun of TJ for all the time because I believe everybody owns Cloud Atlas, but nobody's ever read it. Well, that, that book just, I saw that movie and I was like, why, what do I read this book for? This book seems terrible. No one's read I mean, it. I've read dumber books, but <laughs> who wrote Cloud Atlas? I don't remember his name. Right, so David Mitchell one. or something? Cloud Atlas on the list, but, but you know, people pop into the mentions. Um, Tweet at us. If anyone's if you, two hours into this. If you're an hour fucking two of this conversation, we're, we're all bitching about Bill Simmons being masturbatory, and we're an hour two of this just rambling, talking about the most pretentious books. But if you have other nominees, we'll take them. But so the, so the shortlist is any Ayn Rand, 
Robert Caro's LBJ and uh, Robert Moses biographies, Ulysses, Infinite Jest, uh, Gravity's Rainbow. Um, what did you just say? Uh, Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Um, I felt like I had one other, but that's a good start. There's probably a Cormac McCarthy book that. Oh, Blood Meridian. Thank you. Yes. Not only is there, there is. Blood Meridian is another one. Like, that's like the pretentious book. So what's it called? The Road is the book everybody's read. But Blood (laughs) Meridian is the one that like, like intellectuals are like, oh God, that's such a beautiful book. And it's a good ass book, but half of it is fucking incoherent anyway. I like, I like a chapter that starts with five pages describing a mountain that nothing's happening. I mean, I suggested that you read. Oh, I liked it. It was a good book. It was a great book. I went back and reread it and I was like, this book is good, but it's like, fuck, man. (laughs) It reads fast, but it's still so like opaque and it's fucking prose. You want to talk about nihilism. Yeah, no shit. But that's almost self-consciously so, though. Like, like someone said they had a hard time getting past the violence. And I was like, the violence is so fucking ridiculous that you can't, like, internalize it. It's, like, it's, it's clearly aggressively surreal. Which I keep hearing they, like, they always, I think James Franco was the last one, which that one. Right, yeah. Out. They keep trying to say they're going to make it, and you don't make it. It's the it's unfilmable. I, I had the conversation. I no Country for Old Men is a great movie because it's a great book with scenes. <laughs> yeah yeah and i think it's not considered i would say this i would say generally speaking and i get the temptation and this will be my closing thought um i think the better a prose the prose is in a book the harder it is to make into an effective movie because basically you turn to narration i guess to convey the prose but generally speaking if you're getting turned on by the pro- the only book to to me that works as a movie that also works as a prose book is the great Gatsby. And that's exclusively because it's about two different things. It's about rich people in New York, which anybody's going to want to watch in a movie. And then it's the whole subtextual American dream shit, which most people check out of anyway. And the prose does a good job of being evocative of that. But I think any book that's prose heavy is just not, not going to make a good movie. Plus great Gatsby is like a hundred pages. Right. That's also helps that it's basically a fucking novella. Yeah, that movie. You can read it like anyway, hours. Do you have anything else you want to get off your chest in hour two? No, I think we're good. I think it's pretty fucking late. Stay tuned for like, if if we go Five two minutes. hours talking about movies in our basketball podcast. If we ever start the movie one, this is going to be like that history, uh, hardcore history. Yeah, I know. Well, we're just going to need at some point like like actual notes. I've, I've, I've no apologies for this. This is just two dudes oh. rambling, and I'm not editing this out on a. You're, I'm you're putting gonna get the this posted on a, together, and that yeah. is going to be it. You're going to get this posted on a Friday. What the fuck else you got to do on a Friday afternoon? Um, but uh, I wish I had something to plug, like fake plug. I like doing fake plugs, but I don't even know like what there is. Like, watch Uncut Gems. Watch I Think You Should Leave. If you haven't watched I Think You Should Leave, sound off in the comments about most pretentious books to say. Smash that favorite. subscribe button. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> Don't watch Joker yeah, or donate, Avatar. Like donate, if donate I, to the King's Herald Patreon because you are not getting content like this anyplace else. Let me tell you that the Sacktown Royalty Podcast, whatever that is, is not an hour or two of its. Uh, why we don't like Avatar? A movie they're probably watching about to you who Rudy Gay was. Yeah, it's also true. <laughs> Dude, do you remember like the Kings? Like that is just like, like, like. I mean, not that this isn't true with all fandom, but like. King's fandom to a point is like a unique collective trauma. Like it's just like collectively people that have been through a plane crash that all get together. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like the, the, slap, 
the last season of Lost? Did you say Lost? Yeah, I said it's Lost. So we thought the exact same thing simultaneously. Um, yeah, it's basically we're all hanging out in a church, reuniting, saying, God, you. We might be in purgatory. We might be in hell. It's yeah. Um, so it's just I, I kind of envy the people so checked out that they can just be like, "Who was your favorite king of the like 2013 team?" It's like no one. That team fucking sucked. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't even know who's on the 2013 team. Cousins. Yep, cousins. Tyreek Evans last. If if it's 2012, 2013, it was Tyreek Evans Tyreke. last year. Yeah. Um. Who else? I don't know. There who cares? Go. Yeah, the last 14 right. years have All right. come together except for that Everything month. is bled into everything else. I had to remind myself that Kevin Martin and Tyreek Evans were on the same roster. It's just like, oh, oh, they only played like five games together, I, though, I think. Yeah, they didn't play a lot of games together. I, did we trade Kevin Martin? We trade Kevin Martin for Carl Landry, right? Yeah, and Marcus Thornton. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That's right. Well, the other weird thing about King's Tandem, this really is where we're stopping, is, is that, like – you know, you got For the 19th time, this will be our last. Yeah, I know. In part because the team sucked, like the the and like really the 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 external drama of the team superseded what was happening on the court during the whole relocation era. And like, I, I think you just didn't even have like I you didn't pay attention that much to the team when all that was going on. I mean, you did because they were there, but they were sort of ancillary to the to everything else that was happening around the franchise. Which I also think is part of the reason why people remain so forgiving of this team sucking. Because it's like, it wasn't that long ago that we almost didn't have them. I just laughed like Lakers fans. Uh, were, they were out of the playoffs for, what, six years? And so many of them, oh. like, they acted like their lives were over. I went to the first, it was a preseason game, I would know. But the first LeBron game the first LeBron preseason game, which everybody was fucking at because it was LeBron's first game in a Laker uniform. And I was with my friend and we were next to these friends of theirs and they were all Laker fans. And they were like, it's been so long. I was like, fuck you. What are you talking about? But you know, it's like, no one takes it seriously because it's fucking. Anyways. It's the kid. Anyways. You pl- so you were plugging. Everyone needs to watch. What's it called? Oh, I think you should leave is good. Okay. I think I, mean, you I feel leave. like a lot of people. I think have, we should but... probably leave this podcast. Yes. That's right. two hours. That's I hope well no one's commuting right now. So if you got to yeah. this point, power to you. <laughs> I don't have anything else to plug um, this podcast. Listen to my Jack Cooley interview from a couple weeks ago. I think that was a very fun episode. Listen to all it, of them. but It was. It, it was certainly more coherent than this one. Yeah. yeah, we talked about movies, not for two hours, but we talked about movies. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think my new goal is to get you, me, and Kevin, and I'm just going to let it go to a natural ending will be like two days later <laughs> we're gonna come out with like tom hanks castaway beards and yeah exactly anyways join us next right. week i already have a pair of lovely guests coming next week so i who are the guests or are they surprised i i never say just in case it doesn't happen so okay fair enough yeah i'll tell you afterward but yeah see you next week or talk to you next week whatever the proper outro is um, let us know your movie thoughts, books, thoughts, whatever. We're here for you. Stay yes, safe and goodbye.